We are rolling. What kind of personal judgments would you guys feel comfortable making based on how someone prepares their food? Oh, it would have to be really fucking weird. None, None. usually. Yeah, like, I mean, let people do cook how they want to cook, but I feel like you're asking for a reason. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can think of, and it's because I'm far enough away from it, when you can, like, especially when you live in an apartment complex, when you smell other people's cooking from the hall and it smells awful and you're just like, nope. I don't know if I've ever had that. How bad was it? Uh, just like someone was just making the most Irish fucking stew, but like not even like like the homely kind, just the like awful Irish college I kind. I don't respect stew at all. <gasps> That's bullshit. I absolutely... Neve, Neve, let's be real. It's meat and water. <laughs> it is. Yeah, but sometimes a lot of love goes into that meat and water. And peas. Maybe peas are in there. The peas are alright, I guess. Mm. But you, you know um, how people will be like, what's your favourite Irish dish? And you're like, um... <laughs> 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 Yes. Uh, Cadbury's our, chocolate. It, yeah, all our like meals, like traditional meals, are born out of poverty. Yeah. And, I don't know, keep something in the dirt for 10 hours and then boil it for two days. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like it's nothing. <laughs> not, a, not a part of our nation I think I'm super proud of. No. I remember when when I was a kid, I was over at my friend's house and it was like his dinner time. So his mom brought him in like a plate of potatoes and a plate of tuna. Oh. And then he scooped the tuna into the potatoes and then like started mixing it around, but not, but like really mixing it, like liquefying it. Why did he have them separate at all? Then... He got a bottle of ketchup and he poured so much fucking ketchup into this. Like it was just, and by the end of it, he had this red slime and he just ate it all. And I remember like, you know, when you fuck up with like a social Lincoln persona and you go like down a grade or the card flips over. That's what he did to me. I was like, I don't want to be around this person anymore. Yeah, like if that is your 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 ick that you want to yum, uh, do that privately. Have shame. Yeah, <laughs> Have That's, shame. it's like it's like you know the way insects like vomit on their food and liquefy it. And eat. Yeah, yeah, like they I do. watched a human do that. I guess in a yeah, way it was a deconstructed yeah. baked potato with tuna, which isn't so weird. Like that isn't the craziest thing, except the turning it to paste part. When you say deconstructed, I feel like it nearly went so low. That it's now, like, there's a there's a chef in France somewhere who's, like, done this and it's his, like, speciality dish. Like, it's so bad that it punched through the bottom of the quality the quality hole and is now at the top. I know, but this has some sinister method to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, he, you know, he was, a, he was a dirty, dirty little boy. <laughs> <laughs> so stuff like that. Also, how people cook their steak. I don't know if we talked about this before. I'll make very serious judgments depending on how someone cooks her steak he likes his steaks very very bloody i i like my steaks incinerated on the outside but then in the middle fucking raw there you go that's absolutely perfect neve yeah probably medium raw i don't know yeah because i like i'm, I'm kind of okay with most things but if i'm at a restaurant and i see someone ask for a steak well done in my head i'll be like that person's fucking weak 
the chefs fucking hate when you ask for a well done because yeah. it ruins all because it ruins the like flow of the arrival times of all the food. I think guys who were obsessed with how people have their steak done are weird. It's like a personality trait Neve, that people you can, like to you can, throw out you there. Can, you can just say you're weird. Yeah, you guys are weird, but it's not just you. It's just guys. guys it's not just like, guys. I've met no, so many girls guys. who think this way as well. Okay, but this is like just such a received, like, received thing that people have an issue with. Like, oh man, the getter, his, his steak is like well done. Who gives a shit? I give a, I shit. Give a shit, Neve, because you're taking Why a perfectly a good piece of meat and you're ruining it. And there's no, like, it could be the best piece of meat in the fucking world. And I am passionate about steaks. I cook several steaks a week. Doesn't matter why. Several a week. Look, okay, we're not getting into it. And <laughs> He's a growing boy. And it's just, it's, it's, there is an art form to it that you want to see respected. Okay. A, a moment ago, we just talked about my friend from being little, making his little red slime. And I feel like. <laughs> I feel like it was okay to judge someone for that, but not this. It's the same fucking thing, Neve. I don't know. Neve, are you being sexist? I just oh my think, god. <laughs> I just don't think it's a personality to be like judging people's steak, which a lot I of people do. I think it's do. completely normal to attach your personal <laughs> beliefs to someone. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Okay. I think it's completely Neve, cool I don't to think define yourself person- by getting angry at food. I don't think it's a personality trait not to get angry at this stuff. What else do you hate about the way other people eat? I don't. Neil, what do you hate? Come on, Neve, Neve, it's just it's just the three of us. Let's just what? let's just let's just fucking wrap here. The mics know? are off. I've turned okay, it off. Mic, mics are off. We're not recording any of this. Go. I got nothing. I don't mind how people eat. Do what you gotta do. Do you like people who like eat loudly or chew loudly? I mean, I don't, I'm not around them that often now that we all, we're all indoors. I used to have so many weird eating things as a kid, so I just feel like I can't judge. What changed you? Um, I realized that most people cook food with the intention of making it nice. And you should just try things because they probably will be nice. Like if someone, like very few people are like, I made this to taste like shit. I used to be such a picky eater when I was little. And then I went to the Gwail Tucked. And I remember like the first night being at the Gwail Tucked and I got a plate and I had carrots and peas on it. And I was like... Well, the dream's over. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to have to become a real person. Yeah, you're just going to have to eat what's in front of you because you don't know the Irish for it. And it's small, um, I'm not sure bullshit. I ate much the first night. But let me tell you, by that second night, I had run out of options. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Let's Fight a Boss video game podcast. The world's strongest video game podcast to my right the master of meals the prince of pasta the sultan of spaghetti it's neve yeah i was gonna be like bonjour no you're gonna do like a hand gesture <laughs> yeah. okay okay well, so here it's like a little that. hand emoji yeah, yeah, like, I, I wish people, i wish people could have seen that because i watched an idea formulate <laughs> Kind die. of reach maturity and die on Neve's face. It was it was fantastic. To my left, the emperor of eclairs, the ruler of ravioli. The I'm gonna go for one more. President of profiteroles. It's Brian. I am cream filled. 
Whoa. And with you always, it's your host, John. You're not going to go for a cool gimmick? No, I'm done with gimmicks. I'm done with trickery. I'm done with just being mean. Um, I've been thinking like... So so John is no longer acting the bollocks. Do you hear that? (laughs) (laughs) It's official. We have one less bollock on the podcast. Just two now. The regular amount. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, I was thinking about like how I'm going to change this podcast. And I know I teased a big announcement last time. Here it is. This is a positive podcast from now on. We love hating on shit, though. Yeah, you just open this with pure judgment. You can't go back. Well, why do you think I opened it and I got it all out? Like, for the last... What, what I we, really lo- think you've, like, spurred on the energy now. How and long have we been doing this? Five years? A hundred years. A hundred years. For the last hundred years, it's this whole podcast has just been me a way for me to get out everything that bothers me. And the steak <laughs> shit from, like, five minutes ago, that was the last thing. I am nothing but positivity and light now. So from now on, you're never going to say a negative thing? Not not even one. Okay. Not even one. Okay. Can I, can I jump off that for a second? Hit me. So I did an informal poll on our <laughs> Let's Fight a Boss Twitter where I asked people to settle a friendly argument. What TV show is better? And out of 435 votes, Schitt's Creek got 42% and The Good Place got 58%. That's 435 votes. That's nearly 10,000 people. And they all picked the good place. You know, I'd believe that because our audience are fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> so that totally tracks to me. Like, if you asked me what percent of our audience is, like, good, I'd be like, oh, about 42%. You could say that about anything. Yeah. Really. <laughs> <laughs> oh... Go on, John. Walk your way back out of this one. <laughs> I don't think I can. <sighs> oh, we're not sorry. No, I never, am. never, never was. No, I just, I can remember. I used to feel sorry about things once. It's gone now. It's just dead. Do you feel sorry for the people who have to listen to this podcast? Yeah, because they're at a point in their lives where this is what they think is a good way to spend time. I'm so sorry. Oh my god. That was a terrible thing to say. I don't believe that. And like, our audience, they're so nice to me. They're so nice whenever yeah, I'm at a why, con. Yeah, why the fuck are they, like, you're awful. I, I'm I'm complicated. You're really not. Okay, hey, look. This is a positive podcast. It's a positive podcast. It's a pod- positive podcast. And you feel like you tried to derail it there a little bit? Yeah, just check, just checking, just I, to I, see. I, I, and I forgive you, okay? That's, we, we, we've, we've come, that's, talk, guys, I watched The Dead Center. I watched it too. I think I've seen this. Yeah. It's about a therapist and a guy who's crazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's a short-term, uh... I guess not a mental asylum or an insane asylum, but it's like for people who are in a manic phase. It's people who get sectioned. It's a mental hospital for yeah. like yeah, short term like, stays. Yeah. Yeah. Real real bad like having a psychological episode need to be maintained for a little bit. Yeah. And this is a twenty eighteen uh very low budget uh kind of horror film. Yeah. Really seems like it's going to become a zombie movie at any second for the first like forty minutes. Hmm. Because um, you've got your patient zero right there. Yeah, and patient comes in, acting all weird, something not right. 
and I like how the film, like as the film progressed, it just didn't turn into that. Because when I started watching it, I was like, oh geez, oh no, I need another zombie movie, you know. Um, but I ended up really enjoying it. Like, um, I thought it was really well made. I thought like the cat, like it was reasonably tense throughout, and like the camera work and stuff was nice, and I liked where it went and. The thing it is, I don't even know if we want to say because that's kind of part of the fun of it. But I liked that. What do you guys think of it? Um, I thought it was like well acted. Like mm. I was never bored, but it was one of those ones that really pathologize men- certain mental illnesses. Mm. Like the shtick is they this guy shows up and they don't know where he's come from, and he kind of gets um sectioned based on one guy pushing it forward kind of behind the backs of other people because he kind of wants to figure out what's going on with him. But the only mental illness they kind of name is bipolar. And then by the end of this, you know, it's not, it's something else more supernatural or whatever. But by the end of it, all it is on the outside is kind of this idea that was this guy bipolar? And then like, you know, brutality ensues and there's a lot of, you know. It's not really a film like about anything. Well, it is. It's about, like, sectioning someone for a mental illness, but that mental illness is more than it seems. Well, like, I guess what I mean is, like, that's true, but I guess it doesn't really say anything. Like, it doesn't use that stuff to say anything. Yeah, but it doesn't say... Like, I'm not defending the film. Yeah, no, I I agree. Like, I found found it entertaining, but I kind of was like, oh, this is another one to put in Split, like, in the same category as Split, where it kind of doesn't really... It uses mental illness as a crutch to tell some kind of story, but kind of in the end, all it is is kind of demonizing mental illness still kind of thing. I, I think it's one step removed from Split, because Split was like... Split is schlock. Split was like, this is... He's Split person. Like, it was... Yeah. But um, what do you think about it, Brian? I thought it was okay. Um, The main actor in it uh, was very stiff, but I think that's just the way he acts. It's that dude, Shane Carruth, who directed Primer and Upstream Color, who has since kind of become a very unusual person and has, is sort of blacklisted from films and I don't think will ever be making a film or oh, be involved. Um, he was in a long-term relationship with another director, Amy Semitz, uh, who's also an Upstream Color, and she went on to direct a TV show called The Girlfriend Experience. That's really good. But she had to put a restraining order on him, <gasps> and it just seemed like when, whenever he uh, and so 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 he has problems in his personal life. But it also just seemed like in his professional life, whenever he was doing like the indie movie scene, he was very anti Hollywood. But then became anti indie movie as well, and just seemed to be a difficult person in every aspect. Okay, so it's a weird movie. Is this, this is the regard. actor, the main guy. Yeah, who, who's, oh. who's also a director and a music composer. Huh. But the guy who's the patient, I thought was fantastic. I thought he was really frightening. Yeah, I thought so, like he's a real big, large frame. He, he's a very big man. He plays Jody in the live action preacher TV series. What? Yeah, I think in season three is when they go to uh, back to. Preacher's grammar is so perfect. Yeah. And so, like, he's so well cast as yeah, this kind of he's like. He's really imposing. And, like, he's really good at looking vacant as well. Yeah. Um, so, I thought his performance was really, really good. And I do like films that are about um, a virus, but it's not a medical virus. Um, 
and there's you know different kind of versions of interpreting a virus so i thought that was kind of interesting yeah i like that uh bits of it kind of reminded me of like an exorcism where i guess people who were denounced as having a demon were kind of taken advantage of by medical specialists mm. so what Neve was go- talking about it kind of made me think about that mm. which i thought was kind of interesting but it didn't elaborate on it yeah um, but yeah, the, the the film was fine. Yeah, like, it was pretty cool. Like, I had a good time watching it, but I watched it, like, a week ago. And when I saw it in my show notes, I did have to be like, what was that again? Yeah. It's not boring. It's not no, a boring no, no. watch. But I don't, yeah. I also, like, I won't put it on, a, on any need-to-watch-horror lists anytime no, soon. No, me neither. For me, it's like, it was a decent way to kill an hour and a half. Yeah. yeah. It's a film you've probably missed. Yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah. Brian, uh... I'm going to correct you here. You've, you've misspelled it in the document. You watched The Wolf of Wall Street. No, I watched... Talk- Leonardo DiCaprio. <clears throat> Talking of independent films. Banker. I watched a film called The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Oh, I've seen this too. Yes. This is a werewolf movie, uh, a low-budget werewolf movie that I think was shown in Sundance about a year ago. And it's from the guy who starred and directed, wrote uh, Thunder Road, which I really enjoyed. Jim Cummings. Jim Cummings, yeah. And this is another film in which he writes, directs and stars in, but the cast is much bigger. Um, It's the last film starring Robert Forrester, who was the vacuum sales guy in Breaking Bad and in uh, Better Call Saul and all that. Uh, Because I think he passed away in 2019. Who was he in this movie? He was the uh, uh, the sheriff. Oh, oh, that's sad because he dies in the movie. Yeah, he does. Uh, apparently, he filmed the scenes and then a week later died or something like that. Like, like wow. the, shit. Like, yeah, and it, the whole movie is about how he's like he's dying and he's yeah. on his way out. Yeah, but like apparently, oh. and, and so he he passed away from a brain tumor, but he didn't know he had a brain tumor, or 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 if he did, he kept it secret and he still kept acting all the way up until he was until he couldn't. God, and like he is really good in it like it's it seems like i'd say he's only in the movie for like five or ten minutes but mm. like uh but yeah so it's about a small town in america called snow hollow and uh it's it's a very snowy town and it's i think it's like december is it january it's around christmas time anyway so it's super yeah. dark and um it's the lead up or i i guess it's the lead up to christmas because it happens every full moon because what's happened is that a werewolf is terrorizing the town and there aren't that many good werewolf movies and the ones off the top of my head that I think I like are Ginger Snaps is brilliant. Yeah. And Dog Soldiers? I haven't seen that in years, but Dog that was Soldiers good is cool. from when I remember it. Yeah, uh, but I, I I just think when you think of werewolf movies, you're like, um and it's kinda hard to pick I a few. I always feel like it's like it's like there should be a classical <laughs> werewolf movie because there's classical like, you know, ev- all the other big monsters the only one i could think of is american werewolf in london yeah that's the yeah, that's the one i go to as well but like yeah. yeah whatever it was it never got that twilight 2 there you go yeah twi- mentioning of twilight it opens up what Emmett from twilight who was one of the vampires moving going to this town for a vacation with his girlfriend no no that's not it's it's just the guy from modern family and the guy from no it's Emmett from the vampire movie it's Emmett from twilight no it's the guy from um that movie who that 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 stupid netflix show about the guy who draws a dicks what's that thing called oh <gasps> american Are they vandal different people they're different guys yeah it's it's the guy from american vandal with the like extremely deep voice that yeah. he's, he's kind of hard to understand but they are of a similar physique 
Oh my god, they are of a similar little face and everything. Yeah, it's yeah. like, isn't it ironic how the vampire boy is now being chased by wolves? But I guess it wasn't ironic at all. <laughs> he could be a vampire, we don't know. <laughs> um, okay, well, fuck me. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Neve. With my bullshit IMDB trivia fucking brain. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, I think with werewolf movies, there's an opportunity to do a kind of like a whodunish in that with werewolves it's always interesting to have a small town the deaths will only ever occur on a full moon and werewolves are essentially invincible unless you have silver bullets and the thing is sometimes the, the person who's a werewolf is aware that they can transform to a werewolf sometimes they're completely unaware at all and so they're not as responsible for their actions as you think they are mm-hmm. and so this film definitely kind of leads into the leans into the mystery where, a lot of red herrings. Yeah, there's so many red herrings. And the main character, uh, it's, it's Jim Cummings. He's playing a cop again, and he's playing an alcoholic cop who really shouldn't be a cop. And they kind of make that a point with a lot of the cop characters in this movie about how incompetent they are. It's weird because that's my issue with the movie is this felt like great as a character setup, and there was all these kind of ways where it could be going. Like a lot of the cops are super incompetent and this guy is such an angry alcoholic and he's clearly bringing that to the job and attacking just random people on the job. And there's this lady cop who's always looking at him being like, Oh, he's he's gone off his rocker Maybe again. Just for future thing. reference, we just call them cops. Okay, well, there's another cop, a lady cop. <laughs> Sorry, uh, woman cop. Either way, uh, she keeps we just looking want to take at a moment guy. and just apologize. John, I'll for kill you. <laughs> we're not apologizing to any cops. <laughs> um, Fuck them. But she's always looking at him, and you kind of think, okay, she's gonna pull him up on his bullshit eventually. Someone's gonna step in and stop this guy from like being an abusive weirdo and you throwing around his power but that never happens like that never comes to be also the werewolf in this is attacking women and lone women and then there's a lot in the, in the movie about like male anger and like him going to like you know kind of uh, self-help groups and trying to get his anger under control and is like oh is this kind of a conversation about like like toxic masculinity and kind of like aggression against women that goes nowhere either nothing so it's like it throws out all these interesting things that it could say and then it's just like they're actually all red herrings and we've nothing to say yeah because yeah because because yeah because you know the way it'll show stuff in the kitchen and it keeps like panning in on like the upper shelf where he keeps his alcohol and Mm -hmm. it's about like destructive addiction as well sometimes with stuff like that, that i'm always like was this meant to be a different film up until the 11th hour and then some executive won an argument? It's, well, it's weird know. because the guy, Jim Cummings, who's written it and directed it, he's brilliant, like a really brilliant actor in it. Yeah. And I think its obsession with him as the main character means he couldn't be bad. Right. Like, like you kind of think it's going to go somewhere with him maybe being the werewolf or being something else involved in it, but it just kind of like never lets itself go go that far and then he's you know he's this dickhead he's abusive he's an abusive cop he's an alcoholic he's yelling at his daughter he's saying weird shit to her doesn't matter he's still the hero yeah like it's a really good film with a very bad climax yeah and it's a shame because like there's about a like to me there was a point in the film where about an hour in i was like this is this is fucking going somewhere and unfortunately what you imagine the film is going to be it isn't and like the explanation is fine and you're like okay cool 
and I, I did really and and like the film is fairly low budget and it has a werewolf in it and the werewolf looks great mm. uh, he's always filmed from like far away but the costume for the actual werewolf is so good like it's so convincing and I, I thought that stuff was really impressive I really like that sometimes when it's like you're always catching like glances yeah but like the film really really wants to misdirect you and introduces you with so many characters and tries to kind of like outsmart you but the like solution to its puzzle isn't satisfying no it becomes like less satisfying because all the misdirection it showed out there was kind of more interesting in a way yeah it was and like and that sucks because it has such a strong cast and just a really strong visual setting and the wolf look cool and and the film has like jokes in it as well like it's it's got a sense of humor where it's kind of like it's kind of like offbeat like twin peaks or something where, like, characters kind of talk in a stilted way, but they kind of have a charm to them. And that really works. And, like, it has these really weird moments where, like, the main character, Jim Cummings, is just in the kitchen. And one of his, like, he's just, like, touching his mouth and one of his teeth falls out. Tooth falls out. Like, it, and you're just kind of like, what the fuck is that? And for a while you think it's a clue, but I think it's just, like, a weird joke. It kind of sounds like you two would still say this is worth watching. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I know, like, I really enjoyed it. I was just kind of disappointed by the end. I, yeah. I, I thought I was going to have more to it. When I was yeah. writing my three-star review on Letterboxd, uh, I realized it had gotten a five-star review from Jim Cummings himself. <laughs> and That's I was just fantastic. like, <laughs> Great, Jim. believe in yourself, Jim. I, I really like Jim Cummings. I really want to see what he, wants, what, what, what he makes next. But maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, maybe share the scene. Maybe get someone else to write it. Or at least co-write it. Who's yeah. the film guy who spends, like... I think it's Uwe Boll has does he does a lot of letterbox reviews and he gives everything one star except yeah, yeah, he does. for yeah. the Chronicles of Riddick which I think he gave five stars. It's a good film. Yeah, no argument. It's better than Pitch Black. No, it's, I think Pitch Black's the best one. Uh, they both age uh, badly. I, I like Butcher Bay, the Xbox game. <laughs> That's a really good looking game. It's a for, weirdly for good looking game. Yeah. yeah, it's got a really good torch and it's got a really good like first person hand to hand combat which you don't see a lot of that. There are three Riddick movies, aren't there? There's, there's, there's Pitch Black, there's Chronicles of Riddick, and then there was one that came out, like, less than ten years ago. I don't think so. Was there? Yeah, it came out in between some of the Fast and the Furious films. Like, Vin Diesel snuck out another Riddick movie. without really? ten- Yeah. And, well, and, fair play to him. Yeah, and I, I guarantee there's a third Riddick movie. There has to be. Neve's gonna check it out. Neve's a big Vin Diesel fan. I am, but I'm not watching that. I'm not watching this shit. Um, yeah, you're right. It was, well, 2013. What's it called? Yeah, in the last it's 10 It's called year. Riddick. Yeah, I knew oh, it. I, knew. I remember that. I fucking yeah. knew there was a third Riddick movie. Pitch Black, Chronicles of Riddick, and then Riddick. And now they're doing, seemingly, Riddick for Furia? Sure. Oh. Guys, Riddick, uh, you can't see unless it's dark, and then he's, like, impossible. <laughs> <laughs> that's his gimmick isn't it yeah i think so fucking chronicles a gimmick am i right <laughs> but he has his sunglasses that he can see in the light he really didn't help mm-hmm. with the whole steampunk thing did he like with the goggles no i guess not i think we should all get into goggles you think so yeah neil I, I think you look great with some light uv i'll goggles. do it if neil will do it yeah okay I'm, I'm gonna go with like hacker goggles when I put them on I hacker can see the code <laughs> are they glasses? no they're goggles you <laughs> he put has them like on. the matrix code running down oh, both. yeah okay, okay. John should have 3D ones so one is red and one's like blue yeah and then you can have ones where you put them on and you can only see like your tinted reflection in them so you can't see your eyes this is great. And maybe there's a bit where someone could ask Brian's character, like, you know, with the Matrix code, 
What can you see with those? And Brian just looks at them and goes, everything. I know how long you have left to live in this simulation. What's, um, what's this called? What's this, what's this, let's fight a boss underscore what? Um, dot forward slash truth. (laughs) (laughs) You guys have heard it here first. Uh, the next Patreon goal is a a hacker feature film. The 40 minute short movie. Let's fight a boss underscore forward slash truth. I don't want to call it a movie. I want to call it an imagining. Neve's making a face. What's wrong, Neve? No, I'm... Do you want to pitch a bit for the movie? I don't want to pitch a bit for the movie. You leave? Okay, my favorite moments in movies is when people are eating, so I think we should go in and order a really well-done steak. Okay, and I'll be like, great choice, Neve. <laughs> Wait, and then you'll be like, I know Neve would never do this to me. We're in the Matrix. There should be a that's bit where... That's pretty good. That, go. That's yeah. also in the Matrix. There should be a bit where we all get tattoos as well. Yeah, definitely. But, like barcodes and shit like that. I'm going to get the word on my arm. Sniper. You know what's a gimmick that needs to stop? Yeah. Putting a cat in movies and having them like repeat as a throwback to the Matrix. It I've happens all the fucking really? time. It does, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I think it's because this is some fucking cat. You just fuck it out across the screen. Mm-hmm. There you go. Reference. Instantly. So is it like the cat crosses twice? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The, wow. The glitch. The deja vu. Man, I remember the Matrix. Good movie. Great movie. Um, then the, the Matrix ta- Reloaded came out, made the first one look like dog shit. Absolute. The Matrix Reloaded, and that that was it. Uh-huh. Mat- I think the Matrix Reloaded would be a better movie if the Matrix One and Three never came out, and they just dropped the Matrix Reloaded exactly as it is, <laughs> called Reloaded. Uh, as yep. Well. <laughs> yep. And just let people deal with it. I I know we can't name the episode the matrix reloaded but the code name for this episode is let's fight a boss episode one three four the matrix reloaded okay i think no i think we should just call it that and i think in like a year we should have let's fight a boss one six two the matrix reloaded two (laughs) (laughs) that's not how things are done at all that's not a decision. Can we just talk about a movie or something? Neve, you want you you brought to our attention Razor Blades magazine. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a what do you call it? A quarterly anthology um comic book horror magazine. So it's got a selection. They're I think they're all around 75 pages long. So it's a section of short comic book stories and um short stories and some interviews. And full-page illustrations, and with all a horror slant in all of them, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool magazine. It just, I don't really read a lot of horror, despite it being my favorite movie genre. So it's like, may as well check out the Tapas of Horror Comics, which is this magazine. And yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I'd look at this and I thought it was like I didn't read any of the short stories, but I looked through some of the comics and I thought it was so cool, like. Mm -hmm. It's got such a strong, like, visual presentation. Because, like, some of the short stories and stuff, they're, like, they're not just... Well, they are text on a page, but it's, like, like a jaunty letter with, like, scrawled writing <laughs> and stuff. And it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, the graphic design is really nice. They've really put a lot of work into it. Yeah. I think when it comes out, you can buy it physically, but I think it's, like, limited run of, like, 50 copies. So Oh, I'm, wow, okay. Mm. Yeah, so I've only ever bought it digitally, and it's now three issues in. So it's the first... I guess 
it's into its second year yeah. it's quarterly but yeah it's it's a really new kind of fledgling thing and i think it's worth supporting because it gives a lot of you know horror writers and comic artists something to kind of cut their teeth on and like i don't know some of the stuff i read was pretty scary and some of the full um full page illustrations like that is a cool monster imagined you know i feel like um sometimes with horror stuff like especially with horror anthology stuff you can really see when like an artist who does not draw a lot of horror draws horror and it's like yep that's a that's a spooky picture but then there's like horror artists and you can tell they live and breathe this shit and some of the imagery they produce is just like oh fuck like there's one it's straight up chilling and it was like a bunch of like kind of vagrant looking dudes and they were all just in this like really gross alley all kind of like wrapped up and happy with just this fucking abomination tentacle thing and that 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 image has been in my head all night you know yeah and it's it's fucking rad like i really want to go check out more of it what's like the origin of this thing Um, i'm kind of just shocked by how how well good it, it was um, yeah. it's two um comic writers i'm pretty sure james tywin the fourth and steve fox and brilliant i'm pretty sure they've written at least one of them has written batman yeah a few times and the like interview they have in the first one is with scott snyder who does um swamp thing and batman so it's coming from like people who who exist in comics yeah you know and know what they're doing and know how to get big names for this as well like some of the illustrations in the second one you like you have jen bartel and stuff so it's like it's going for people you would know like it has kind of a pedigree to it but also introducing a whole pile of people's work i have not heard of and, and not some seen of the art is just so cool like there's one yeah. it's real like it's real like cartoony and stylized but the colors on it are so harsh that it really like speaks to horror even mm-hmm. though like the look itself is nearly kind of simple which doesn't always work at horror but it works here yeah it's like a real like mixed bag like in the second one there's like really beautiful psychedelic color um issues and stuff and they kind of bring in this is like an over 18s um magazine as well i'll say there is some kind of psychosexual stuff um later on in the later issues mm. and i have noticed there has been a push to get more like you know, like diverse people creating for it as well, which Good. is cool because it's like even on its second issue, they had made that change, you mm. know, so that I'm, you can only hope it goes, continues to go. So that's kind of what I wanted to shout it out because I don't know, I used to lo- love what, reading like horror magazines when I was a kid and like reading all these little short stories about aliens or graveyards and you just, it's so hard to find. Like I'm nostalgic yeah. for magazines, basically. I've like gotten into reading like short story horror anthologies and it takes me a long time to read anything but i really love like going to bed and reading a little bit of that horror short story that night and come back to it it's exactly feels like that if you've got an hour that you want to wind down with some horror that will maybe keep you dreaming uh it that's where i'm reading it and it's a super good time occupy your mind so it can't be scared of the more mundane things i think it's five dollars for the digital editions but it's like pay what you want as well so i think you can give more to it as a project but yeah check it out that's razor blades off the back of that um i know in praise of shadows just did like like a three hour two-part series on like the history of horror comics really super interesting like it's so sad how that industry crashed and burned like when you watch like the court hearing it was like basically just this this guy who loved horror comics, completely innocent, no idea about legal ease, just thought he was going to be able to like go in and like convince these, you know, all the kind of lawyers and all like the kind of 
people who were like making a big stand against like adult material in horror comics and he thought he was just going to be able to like talk them around and he just got destroyed and he appealed to their artistic integrity yeah but they were lawyers yeah. no they're just admin yeah <laughs> but um they got nothing yeah i, I second eve on that yeah, i thought it was really really cool guys we all watched how to with john wilson yes we did Let's finally talk about how to with John Wilson. We actually talked about this last week, or Brian and Eve did, and we had some trouble last week. There was an audio hiccup and that part of the conversation got lost, but we're going to do it again. We're going to do it again exactly the same. Okay. So I think I started with uh, how to with John Wilson is a six episode television show that aired on HBO at the end of last year. And then Eve, you followed it. I said, he kind of sounds like Kermit, but then he shows his face and it's not Kermit. And that was disappointing. No, it's just some white guy New Yorker in his mid to late 30s with a beard and a camera. Dime a dozen. Yeah. Only one Kermit. (laughs) Kermit's so cool. He is. John, what did you think of this show? Oh, I loved it. I I really, really, I thought this was a very, very special show. I don't think it's very often that you watch a TV show now where it's like, not only have I never seen anything like this, but I never would have imagined that this could have existed. No, it, it really takes you on a journey across its six episodes, and I do recommend you watch it either as a two-parter or a one-parter journey. Because you could, because pr- I guess as a total, it's three hours long, but you could kind of divide that into two evenings. It's very easy. There's something really digestible about it. And mm-hmm. I think that's like, I think it's the way he strings together words and footage, because like, the whole the whole thing is just this dude's entire or like what's well, meant to be this dude's like entire collection of footage from around New York City and every time he cuts to something what he's cutting to is relevant to what he's saying in a really kind of sort of tangential obtuse kind of way it's beautifully edited it's kind of like these are stories from the city and here's the city so like sometimes it's not exactly what he's talking about like i don't know a hawk pulling a pigeon apart but you know it's, it's about the brutality of the city yeah there's always like a thread and i think that's what makes it so like kind of hypnotic because like with every new shot your mind's like what's the what's the connection here there's one part where he talks about cops and it's a pig and then the camera pans over and it's two cops eating an ice cream. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> That's pretty okay. good. I really like how sometimes he'll start a shot earlier than it needs to be. Like the one where he's interviewing the people about collecting. And he's inside someone's home, but he's held the camera on their child who's inside a tiny car. And it's so out of nowhere. And you're like, what's going on? And then he pans the camera over to who he's talking to. And you're like, oh, okay, I understand <laughs> now. But what was that? Um, each episode has like a, I guess, a lesson, like how to wrap your couch. Well, how to cover your furniture. Cover your furniture, yeah. This one on scaffolding, what's all that about? Yep. And um, how, how to make small talk. Yeah. And they all start off as like these very general kind of essays about this subject. And then like he starts to like weave a narrative in and some of the places he ends up. He keeps leaving New York and it gets weirder. That, I don't know why, but there's a part where he ends up at a referee's dinner, and it makes me, like, the whole event just made me really sad. Those referees are so unfair to each other. (laughs) Uh, Michelle got so upset at the Mandela effects. 
convention. <laughs> like, you, the, you know, the, you, the fucking you, bit with the person's asking about how is the internet working and is that a conspiracy? You guys know Michelle, cause- not easily angered, fuming over this Mandela effect thing. The Mandela f- um, effect is so interesting because it's just a whole like phenomenon that people made up because they're not comfortable with saying they were wrong or that they thought something wrong when they were a child and then realized it was different as an adult. It's like, no, global conspiracy. Like, why? To misspell Febreze? Like, Neve, it's fine. Neve, global conspiracy. It's alternate universes. <laughs> they... If that's it, if that's the only difference is <laughs> Febreze is spelled with two No, Bs. in Star Wars... Darth Vader now, now says, no, I am your father. When, of course, we all know he used to say, Luke, I am your father. Explain that one. I don't know. They printed one on t-shirts and people got it wrong. I know. And it's like, <laughs> guys, it's just, we, so, at some point, a t-shirt or something went out and misquoted this. And then we all misquoted it. And it just ends up being part of pop culture. And it's a mis, it's, it, yeah, it, it's just a shorthand for a more detailed thing but that's just the internet now like you can find enough evidence to believe whatever you want and these people have chosen this it, it's really easy to get a corkboard and just link everything together did you know that everything has water in it conspiracy oh, i'd have to check that out what about humans there can't be any water in humans unless they just drank a glass of water right. we're full of piss <laughs> at all times. so much piss <laughs> oh this That's, is yeah. This is the kind of weird places this guy ends up. And um the one where he meets the guy who poses as teenage girls to capture predators on the internet was something else. That was such a great segue. <laughs> he just meets him at a wrestling convention cuz he's asking about the future of mankind and he talks <laughs> about the wrestler mankind. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And then he's like, "No, no, I mean like all of us. He's like, oh, you mean in a general sense? Yeah, I think we're going okay. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> yeah. It's just... It's it's a show about weird adventures through New York City and the but, fucking weird places. And then, like, he does travel a bit as well, which is kind of interesting. It uh, yeah. runs up until... um Up to the start of COVID, which is yeah, the last Yeah, until about March episode. or April. Yeah. Oh, man. And, like, the way they kind of reveal it, where it's like, he comes back from a trip and the train's empty and he goes to a shop... And the shelves are empty. It's like, fuck, man. Mm-hmm. Mm. It does. It it hits you that part, like the whole storyline with his landlord and stuff. Yeah, his landlady's like super old. Like she's such a nice little like, woman in her eighties. Yeah, and she's the sweetest. He he calls her mama and sp- spends a lot of time with her. But then he's obviously afraid to spend any time with her. And he's like, he's trying to. He was trying. That episode was trying to make the perfect rosado, and then kind of at the end, he was kind of like, maybe if I didn't spend all the time perfecting the rosado, I would have been able to have it with her before all of this happened. It was all, it was really sad. It was pretty bittersweet and made me cry a few times, which, you know, the five episodes beforehand would not make you cry. No. (laughs) They were like a fever dream. I don't know. (laughs) When I saw the guy's foreskin stretching device, I... That... That that definitely gets an emotion out of you, but like yeah, yeah but that was a, like oh <laughs> no, no. no, you just really I think, like I that think film. when you're a boy, Neve, it's more like <laughs> <laughs> don't do that to you. Um, I I liked it though, like I'm like yeah, like there there's a heart to this, and like the episodes kind of there was a kind of sweetness to them. The the spring break guy kind oh of stuck me, like yeah. 
like he, he he meets this he goes to like a spring break and he meets this party dude and within minutes you're like oh no this man has nothing and is empty yeah yeah and 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 the series does a good job of kind of like painting pictures of kind of unusual people but the host himself john wilson is also an unusual person how how genuine do you guys think this stuff is i think so. i think that's all his footage yeah. i think it's super genuine that's what i thought as well but there's a bunch of cinematographers listed in the credits i mean i'm sure given all that footage it was the people who spliced the stuff together or picked the stuff that was the nicest well, and there was an probably well okay but there was probably pickup shots done as well yeah probably because other than that, it feels like 100% genuine yeah. to me. To me, it kind of feels like a mixture of like, he has all this archival footage and it's netted together with like more recent footage, but the more recent footage is probably a collaboration with the HBO budget. That's probably how he's able to travel outside of New York. Yeah. But like some of it looks like it's been documented for years. And so I think a lot of the work went into just clicking and dragging everything into place and making a quilt of bizarreness. Yeah. As far as, like, does this seem like the kind of person who would just document things randomly for years? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Those diaries were something else. The tiny handwriting. Oh, Jesus, yeah. But he, he makes a good point for it all. He does. It's, it's a terrific little TV show. We didn't even talk about the trailer for it, but the trailer for it is just... The trailer for it's just a fucking Nathan For You episode. Yeah, because the show is produced by Nathan For You, so if you like Nathan For You, it's got very similar vibes it's definitely its own thing but you could see the dna of yeah. nothing for you in it yeah. it has yeah. that kind of awkward cringe that some people are just so put off by that they can't watch but uh in nathan for you but really yeah but i think like this is more sincere because it's a better guy really and like yeah. maybe he's fucking around a bit but like i can't tell with nathan for you i don't know yeah i just don't know but with this guy i would like put money on it's 90 percent him like Maybe he's playing up stuff in bits. He's but... just playing an exaggerated version of his his actual self. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a really great TV show. I told, I think people should check it out. Brian, yes. Tell us about Jasper Mall. Jasper Mall is a documentary that came out last year about a dead mall in Alabama. <gasps> um, this is really cool because it's a ninety minute documentary. It just focuses on Jasper Mall and it, it focuses on the security guy and then a few of the shop owners and then some of the customers that frequent the mall and it was a mall that opened up about 40 years ago in the early 80s and it looks like an 80s mall that has just kind of been half frozen in time half abandoned there's a lot of like shutters pulled down on empty vacant like spaces and they mainly follow the security guy and it's his job to run the security of the mall but also he's the janitor because it seems like the mall is nearly going to close any moment now and all the roles have been downsized and kind of doubled into more than one job and it's interesting because the people who frequent the mall as part of their daily life still take this mall incredibly seriously and it's part of their routine and so it's them kind of coming to terms and trying to understand that time has kind of moved on from this mall and they're kind of attached to the mall while time has kind of forgotten about them too. Yeah. And so, for example, like a lot of the customers are elderly people 
uh, but a lot of them will just go to the open areas of the mall where the chairs are and they'll just play dominoes. It's a place to go every day kind of thing. Yeah. And there's a woman who runs a flower shop and it's kind of her just talking about how much money she makes every year and how it's less and less. There's a guy who, who cuts keys and kind of adjusts jewelry and he's kind of talking about how it, like there's there's no more foot traffic in the mall and he's just going to have to move to an outlet strip instead or a strip outlet instead just out near one of the main roads. And they kind of talk about the anchor stores, which I know is something that comes up in the Dan Bell documentaries on YouTube, where like a mall needs at least one or two anchor stores. And they're like the bigger shops like Target or JCPenney are the ones I could think of in America. So I guess here would be like a Dunn's or a Tesco or like a TK Maxx, where like they're the bigger shops, but then the other shops can kind of feed off the customer base of that shop. Mm-hmm. And so this mall, on either end of the mall, it has these big two departments that are just completely vacant. And the security guy is kind of talking about how, oh, we have one business interested and it might work out. But, you know, it's not going to. It's not going to. And there's a bit towards the end where they talk about trying to get more people interested in the mall. So they rent a traveling carnival funfair to set up in the car park of the mall because nobody's parking the cars at the mall anyway and like it's just this huge giant tarmac space so and that's really interesting because it's just sort of like a slice of Alabama life of just people at the carnival enjoying themselves and then kind of being interviewed about the mall and they're like yeah we never go to this mall we're just kind of here for a night out and it's it's a real kind of look at a type of America you don't really get to see it's like a small town that's just completely economically like devastated. There's no work. I've watched this as well. Like yeah. there's a young guy comes for work at the mall and starts talking to the security guy and he's like, "Well, I can hire you to like clean the bathrooms with me and kind of thing." But it's kind of like you feel like everyone's kid is probably going to the mall to try and get some kind of job there because yeah. that's all they kind of got. Oh, yeah, and, and as well like the biggest business in the mall is the US Army Recruitment Center. Mm-hmm. So they spend a bit of time with them as well. So like, I think they have like two shops or, or like two storefronts, but they seem to be like the busiest shop in the wow. mall, I guess. That sounds awesome. It, it's a real intro and like, it, it's a very slow burn documentary. That's it's okay. But like, it, 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 I really enjoy this. It's very sad. Cool. Sounds great. Neve, tell yes. us about rental. Uh, the, I wish I could say positive things about the rental. <laughs> it's a horror movie about yeah, the rental. So this is, yeah, so this is the rental. It's a video on demand movie. I think it was meant to go to theaters, but because of COVID, it en- ended up on places like Amazon. And it feels like something that was made for like streaming services because mm. like on its uh, on the front it is basically a slasher home invasion movie and you've got a really great cast you've got dan stevens who's in legion downton abbey apostle you got alison brie from glow and community you got a sheila vand who's like a girl from walk Ho- uh, who walks home alone at night and then this other guy jeremy adam alan white who- he's the main guy or the main son in shameless okay there we go he's very so- good he's great yeah it's a killer cast, an amazing cast. So I think with a slasher home invasion, you kind of got to hit maybe one of three things. So the three things I think you got to hit is either character drama. So the drama between all the characters, your killer has to be cool if it's a slasher or the escapes have to be at least cool. So they're kind of my three big things slasher home invasion movie should have. So this opens with two couples going to stay at a rental accommodation 
uh, for a weekend just to have a nice nice time together. From the very opening shot, it kind of sets up that a person from each couple is going to cheat. So there's a guy looking at the computer, looking at the rental uh, rental accommodation, and there's a girl like leaning against his shoulder, and we you're kind of led to assume they're a couple until her boyfriend, his brother, comes in. So that's the drama, and it goes exactly where you think of straight away. They cheat. Like, that is the movie. It's set up from the opening thing, and it, like, and that's just the central drama. Then being a standard slasher, they do stupid things, trying to kind of keep this cheating under wraps, and eventually a slasher dude comes and kills them. <laughs> like, <laughs> is it just a dude with a knife? It's a dude with a mask and a knife. What's Great. the mask? It's not, it's of an old man. Ooh, that is like, pretty scary. It's not iconic. The deaths aren't interesting. They're really boring. Like, they're kind of like brutally um, kind of realistic, but not brutal enough to be brutal, but like brutal realistic in the way that they are quick and then they're over. Kind of sounds like the sort of movie that you watch it and you're like, why was this made? Exactly. Do you, know, do you know who directed it? I, that's where I'm getting. Yeah. <laughs> that's where I'm Brian getting. Brian, don't this. tread on her punchline. <laughs> no, now, you can tell him, but let me keep going for yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah. So you've got Alison Brie, who's an amazing actress, and she were giving her the shittiest lines about this stupid cheating subplot that is so obvious, and everyone's doing stupid, stupid shit. And the only positive aspect to this entire movie is that they brought a dog called Frankie. He's a little French bulldog, and he's cute. But you also know the person who wrote this movie doesn't know what the fuck to do with this dog because he just disappears when he's convenient. And if anyone brought a dog anywhere, people would care about the dog going missing or the dog not being there. People just don't forget a dog. It's not a fucking baby. It's not a, like, you know, it's dogs not Dogs make an, people happy. It's not an inanimate object. It isn't someone's motorbike or something. It's like a dog, like, and these, this, these two couples are like, where'd the dog go? Guess we won't figure that out or bother. And it just seems so annoying and shallow. And I'm like, who made this? And how did they get these actors? Brian, who made the movie? Uh, James Franco's brother, Dave Franco, directed this. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> uh, you know, he's married to Alison Brie. What? Oh, you didn't know. <laughs> Are you jealous? No. Is it... <laughs> isn't that the worst what? thing ever? That just, oh isn't that just the worst? And he gave her such a shitty role. Oh, yeah, yeah. He loves his wife. Because there's a moment in that where you're like, yeah, listen, Bree's character, you get the fuck out of there. It doesn't matter because it's a shitty slasher. It's yeah, like, no. Oh, All bets oh, are off. Yeah, because oh. like, because James Franco has directed some movies. Like, he shits something out every year and nobody goes to see it. Oh. And now Dave was like, yo, James, <laughs> Yo, bro, think about making a movie about like a I'd slasher. I'd love to do a super cut of all the weird mumbling Dave Franco does in between his lines. So, like, it would just be like, because you know, <laughs> it's just always that. You guys like magicians? I'm going to do some card tricks. <laughs> Dave Franco. He likes to say his name a lot. He's like, <laughs> he's a, like a Muppet Pokemon. He's like a Pokemon. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Look, while we're on it, do you just want to say, Dave Franco. We don't want you as a guest on this podcast. Yeah, uh, let's they, just let's just nip that in the bud. Alison Brie, though, she can. Alison I can't Brie. believe they're married. Ali, girl, uh, like... we're your friend. If you want to get out of Dave's house, I told you I was just want to get Mad out of that situation. She is a consistent joy in it, and oh. she's also married to the worst boy. Neve, that sounds disappointing on so many levels. Yeah. Okay. But Dave Franco wants to turn it into a franchise. Of course he does, and he probably will because the Franco brothers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Guys, I watched The Forbidden Door. John, no. Do you guys know what this is? No. Is this like an 80s movie? Kinda. Okay. It has been going on since the 80s. It's Wrestle Talk. 
Oh, okay, guys, I'll make this quick. Our story begins January of 2020. Chris Jericho faces Hiroshi Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom 14, and Hiroshi Tanahashi says the infamous words, If I defeat Chris Jericho, I will open the forbidden door. What's the forbidden door? I hear you ask. Well, we'll get to that in, in a while. Cut to recently. Well last November to be precise, AEW's Winter Is Coming event. That's what they called it. I thought it was a really bad name. I still think it's a really bad name. I stole it for the opening bit for the first episode we did back. Pathetic. Yep. It was really awful. And this was really weird because the main event was Kenny Omega versus John Moxley for the AEW title. And right at the end of it, Kenny Omega comes out with the owner of TNA Wrestling which was a very strange move because it's like, hang on, in reality, he shouldn't be here. This is your competitor. This is like real life, like corporate competitors. And it's like, this is very strange. Things play out and the owner of TNA helps Kenny Omega win the AEW title. And Kenny Omega turns up the next week on TNA's, whatever their fucking impact, their TV show. And it's like, Wait, wait, what is happening? This is, this is fucking weird. And since then, Kenny Omega has been going back and forth between AEW and TNA in some really strange, like, cross-reality stuff where it's like, wait, what's, what's real and what's happening here? But it got much weirder recently because Kenny Omega was recently saved by Kenta, who is the current leader of the Bullet Club in New Japan. And that happened on AEW television. When you say saved, what do you mean? He was about to lose his title, which means he might as well have died. Okay. Uh, Actually, I don't think that's true. I think it was like a tag match. But Kenta basically came out and beat the shit out of Jon Moxley because they have a whole thing going on. And so you have this New Japan wrestler in a New Japan t-shirt he was wearing a bullet club t-shirt standing in the middle of an aw ring and it's like all the rest everyone that isn't wwe is converging into this one big super meta storyline is this the forbidden door this is the forbidden door neve the forbidden door is american wrestling new japan has opened the forbidden door and here's the reason i really 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 give a shit about this kenny omega is the aw world champion Aside from, like, the WWE Championships, probably the most valuable championship in wrestling right now in America. Do you know who the New Japan World Champion is? Ibushi. It's Kota fucking Ibushi, which means we are headed, I think, long-term for an AEW-New Japan crossover pay-per-view that ends with World Champion Kota Ibushi versus World Champion Kenny Omega. I predict the match will last four days, and I'm so fucking excited. Golden Lovers. The Golden Lovers. More like the Golden Haters. I can't believe I could guess that just based on you talking in this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, you've absorbed a lot of wrestling knowledge. I really have. Like, by osmosis. And I'm proud of that. Yeah, it means it's working. 
Yeah. We give a shit. But did Chris Jericho have to lose? Like, what happened? Like, Chris the forbidden Jericho, door seems open. Chris yeah. Jericho defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi and became the pain maker. That's the worst name. It's a play on Kazuchika Okada's Rainmaker. But it's this, this ah, is the thing. But he about, swapped the yep, one letter. Yep, yep. Very clever. This is the thing about Jericho, though, Neve. Remember, he was brilliant. Yeah. He's still fucking brilliant. And whatever he tries, he just he wears a neckerchief now. It's fantastic. Like Fred from Scooby Doo. Like Fred from Scooby Doo. Jesus Christ. Yep. He's, he's just. He started a weird little family um called the the inner circle and they're just they're a bunch of big angry men and they're so cute and they do brady bunch style skits sometimes do they go around in a mystery machine and solve old ghost mysteries kind of if by ghost mysteries you mean ruin other wrestlers lives yeah same thing but um this is the most into like weekly wrestling i have ever been i've had just so many decades of wwe just being kind of shit week to week where like you don't even need to watch it you can just watch the pay-per-views and gain nearly a hundred percent of the context where it's like i'm actually like i'm like fuck what's gonna happen on AEW tonight like what's gonna happen and like there's just been all this really other good stuff there's this new faction rose up called the dark order and the dark order was a really shitty faction for a while and then this new guy came along Brody lee who's like an ex-wwe guy tragically passed away rights after he basically made dark order great and now dark order this group of bad guys have become this super beloved group because of how he like raised up the other members of it and gave them all their own personality and they're like really funny and they're really cute and it's it's really sad but it's like there is such heat behind it you know there's Mm -hmm. like heart and like all the wrestlers are devastated after like losing their friend and it's it's some real shit you know like it's wrestling but like there's so much genuine emotion their leader now is negative one they're all ranked numbers one to ten and negative one is Brody lee the wrestler who died it's his son and he's like eight years old and they've just become like such a family to this kid and it's so sad but it's so sweet okay that's like cool. an on-air birthday yeah. for him oh yeah so if the bad guys are good guys <laughs> who are the actual bad guys well, they guys. were like a bad faction, and they're still shitheads, but everyone loves them. Okay. You know, that kind of way. But you don't want them to lose either. Or they get the shit kicked out of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's plenty more bad guys to go around. So is the true Forbidden Door WWE? I mean, it's America, and like technically they have done one or two like crossover events. Like even like, you know, New Japan's done stuff for OTT, Brian, which we saw a bunch of times. Yes. Um, but I guess it's them invading the West. But. WWE has never acknowledged the existence of another wrestling group outside one or two Attitude Era skits. They just won't acknowledge it because if you're Vince McMahon, if Vince McMahon does anything, AEW can like, AEW gain from that no matter what it is because people find out about AEW. And right now, like the difference between the two products, WWE has like one of the best rosters it's ever had. It also has some of the worst storylines it's ever had. And they basically, it's just this compound that kind of hoards talent now. And I still like WWE. Roman Reigns shit is fantastic. But there's such like life and creativity behind AEW right now. And it just seems like a place that people are very happy to work. Their women's division still sucks, which is completely inexcusable considering how good the female talent is there. But it just feels like no one has taken the reins and really booked it properly. My feeling is that whoever's in charge of the women's division is not 
used to booking wrestling storylines because it's so haphazard. But there's still so many good female wrestlers. Still, that's super disappointing. But if we get that in order, AEW be fantastic. Forbidden Door, everyone. Great movie. Strategy Talk. Neve. Yes. You've been playing some of that Resident Evil Revert. God. Reverse. It's a bad Reverse. name. Yeah. So I was playing some of this. The beta lasted kind of two days on and off. They had some maintenance running in between those days. When Rebecca walked into the room, she said, why does it look like that? Because it looks pretty ropey. If you don't know what this is, this is going to be the multiplayer add-on to Resident Evil 8 Village um, that they're bundling in with it. It is the only mode available on the beta was deathmatch, so it's all PvP. So uh, you have the option of six survivors, Claire, Leon, Ada, Hunk, Resident Evil 7, Chris, and uh, Jill, and you also have bioweapons. So you go around the map and you shoot each other, and when you die, depending on how many vials you gather on the map, you will turn into a bioweapon. So you will turn into Jack, or you will turn into <laughs> Nemesis. It's just, it's just funny to me because like you spend so much of Resident Evil trying not to turn into a bioweapon. Yep. <laughs> so this is your goal is to oh, get well. as many uh, vials. I think it's like it's not even a lot. It's two to turn into the max bioweapon, one to turn into kind of a mid-range one, and if you collect zero, you'll turn into kind of just um, a fat molded from Resident Evil Seven remake. It feels like it's such an acid flip game like that's what it is the only map available was the raccoon police department it was third time's a charm it was stretched out <laughs> for people to fit and the characters were clearly scaled down within it but it oh, doesn't so it's got look, like giant chairs and stuff it doesn't look too obvious to be honest i thought it would look worse but it doesn't but what they did do is they've clearly sped up everyone's run cycle but they haven't like added the frames so to make everyone move faster, they've just sped them up. So Neve, I remember when Half-Life came out back in the day. Um, you play as Gordon Freeman, and then the multiplayer was also there. And for the models, all they had done, done really was created this run cycle where they didn't animate anything above the knees. So it would just be you holding your gun and your legs just kind of going. I thought this kind of looked like that kind of has that feel it kind of has that really kind of chaotic run really choppy run yeah um like they don't have like pivots in their animations no and there isn't a lot of like you're dealing with like big weapons because every round is only five minutes long so when the last two minutes they start like giving you rocket launchers and grenade launchers to really spice shit up and it's a point base uh, point based system so whoever has the much most points at the ends wins so you get points for kills you get like um, multipliers for like killing the leader killing like the first three people who are leading the match um, getting multi kills will get you stuff stuff like that and oh dying will deduct points but the the kind of idea is that you will die go to a bioweapon die and respawn really fast and you could respawn like seven different times in a five minute match <sighs> It's silly, it's fast, it looks really bad. You can turn off the comic book filter and it looks kind of more like Resident Evil 2 Remake. But I honestly kept playing with the filter on because it was easier to see things because you're playing PvP now, you don't want someone hiding in the shadows. Why would you? Like it was nearly, you're working with a um, deficit if you're kind of 
playing without it. Mm. So it, it, it just cell shades everything? Yeah, okay, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, I got you. I actually had a fun with it, surprisingly. Like, I mean, like, if we can talk shit about it, but if you had a good time with it. Yeah, like, I don't know if it has legs. Like, I really don't. But you don't see this as something you'd go back and play in, like... Well, you know, the play, the, you did your PlayStation Wrapped came out this month. Yep. My second most played game was Resident Evil Resistance. I don't really think it matters too much <laughs> about the quality of this game, okay. if you okay. get me. Yeah. I will probably find something fun in it and probably find a golden carrot, like some kind of outfit to unlock and keep going with it. But I played a lot is, of is it. Is that like because there's like a genuine hook here or because you just like spending time in this world? I like Resident Evil. Like there was, there was the people playing in the beta all had named like Claire Redfield or Wesker's wife. Like it was fans. I want to see Wesker's game. wife's Tumblr. <laughs> I don't. She's made a lot of beautiful graphics. I bet she has. Like it was people who were really into Resident Evil and there was a fun moment. There is, there's nothing in this game to communicate. Like there's no emotes. There's no like, you know, over there. There's no like any communication you can it's crazy make. crazy how much that stuff's become like the standard now. It really does. And I kind of missed it. I teamed up with an Ada who it's all PVP. It's all deathmatch. We should have been fighting each other, but we teamed up to take on a bioweapon as Nemesis. We killed, uh, we killed him. We had a moment where we looked at each other and it was like, okay, time to do the dance of trying to kill each other. And every character has um, on cooldown specials. Like Leon is, he starts dual wielding a gun and he has a kick. Uh, Hell yeah. Like, so everyone has their own individual specials, but like, like it really needs some serious balancing. It just, it's kind of hard to talk about it super seriously because it feels not like a serious thing. So you get into the game, everyone has a primary weapon. No one used the primary because it's useless. So everyone switches to shotgun and assault rifles. Everyone was playing as Hunk and Resident Evil 7 Chris because they have assault rifles. So there's no use for your primary weapon already. And it, that's kind of just where it was at, where it feels like this will take so much work to balance. No one was playing as Ada because Ada was super squishy. So it's like it has enough there that I would probably play it for some casual enjoyment because it happens so fast and the matches are so quick. But I don't know. It's it's something that I can see have a six month life cycle, quite like Resistance, which kind of its numbers are like it's still going but its numbers are nothing it's really hard to get a match yeah but it's it lets you spend more time with your resident evil guys yeah like people will play it when this game comes out comes out and if they do stuff like if they put in like a doubles mode i think that could really pad it out if they maybe added a minute to the clock i think it's a bit too quick yeah like if they have all these ideas with these characters with their kind of specials and their cooldowns and they have that there and people want mercenaries, they have a good base to maybe make something else from this. It's not in the news, but nine foot four? Yeah. Hell yeah. Nine foot six or was it four? I think it's four and then six with the hat. Oh, okay. yeah. Good info. Good mm-hmm. info. Important info. What do you guys hope like they do with her? Well, she, she's, she's going to have a bunch of different yeah, forms. She's going to follow you like Mr. X. Yeah. But she, 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 she'll she look like a tall human at the start. You but see, she's going to get this grosser is, this and grosser. This is what I don't want. I don't want at some point to be showed it shooting the glowing orange points on her. It's going to have glowing orange orbs. It's going to have I that. hope they do something cooler. Because she's so fucking cool. And I don't know. I mean. I don't need to kill her. It's a Resident Evil game. 
you're gonna have to. She will have an orange patch on her. That would be disappointing. Insect. Yeah, she's gonna body. like turn like she's gonna be real clever at the start, and then when she turns into like the bioweapon version, she's gonna I mean, get like, like there's, there's, there's cool things they could do with that as well, right? Yeah, like, but like it, it'll probably just directions. be it'll just be like a weird tentacle thing where the AI doesn't get clever anymore. Like if and you her, just shoot the barrel that if, it tries to chase after. If the end of Resident Evil Hey A is her looking at the helicopter flying away and smiling and being like see you next time i'd be fine with that <laughs> but i just i just think she has this she has legs she, she does, yeah, she a, does lot a lot legs. very yeah very huge gigantic legs brian yes you played Ponpu. Ponpu. this is a game that came out at the end of the very end of last year and it's an indie game i played it on the switch and it's somewhere between bomberman and binding of isaac oh cool you play as a space duck, and you're on a planet, and you vomit up bomb egg bombs, and then you kick the bombs along. That's not how ducks work at all. I know. <laughs> These the, like this game looks real weird. It's cool because the game's in black and white, but it's not in grayscale. It's in like a bone white and like a very muted brown. Oh, and then it has like an RGB split on it as well, so it has like tiny bit of color on it. And then it does these like cool eye catches like uh, Gurren Lagann does or like in Dead Leaves where like the shadows are just like hard solids. Mm. So like the visuals in this game are so nice. Cool. And it's a single player game and a multiplayer game. And the multiplayer kind of works like a frantic Bomberman. And then the single player kind of works like Binding of Isaac. But it's not like randomly generated. But the map layouts kind of feel like Binding of Isaac where you're kind of going from room to room and you need to kind of... Like, it's based on, like, kind of twitchy responses. Sure, yeah. And I don't know how long the single-player campaign is. Probably, like, an hour long. Uh, but so far, I'm enjoying it. I've only played about one or two hours of this game. Uh, I bought it on sale, and I'm very so happy with the it. The single-player campaign's an hour long? About an hour or two. Is it on the Switch? Yeah. Okay. How I much think, was it? Uh, I think I got it for, like, eight euro. Cool. And... The, the visuals are great. The music is great, too. Um, like, I'm, I'm fine with that if it's a good hour. Yeah. No, no, it's it's cool. Um, I really, really want to try the local multiplayer because it just seems like it's it's it zooms out the map loads. And it's just because there's four different kind of space ducks, but they're all the same kind of like moveset. But I, I like but but they, they, they all have like a very distinct look. I just think the multiplayer of this would be could potentially be a lot of fun. Cool. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm going to check it out. Okay. Okay. I just think. I and I I think everybody we'll, we'll do a, we'll do a game evening next week. I think everybody should type in Ponpu into YouTube and have a look at it. It's a cool duck. Okay, <sighs> guys, I played more Yakuza like a dragon. Really feeling it. Yeah. Are you trying to get to a place where you like oh it? Oh God, I'm trying so hard, Neve. This is harder than I try. I have spent more time trying with this game than I have playing games I love, and it's not happening. It's just not happening. Um, and I want to talk about it on the podcast just because uh, we briefly talked about this about five hours into Game of the Year and I don't feel like my points were very salient then. So No, the madness had the, mad- the madness had been there for a while. <sighs> like, yeah, there's cool stuff about this game. Ichiban is... He's an adorable little ball of shonen energy wrapped in a 40-year-old man's body. And I think that's great. And I think he's great. And I love his character design. I love how he looks. I love the voice acting behind him. I love everything about that character. I think I said something similar to this, but like, 
Kiryu is a very difficult character to follow up after, what, like 20 years of games? And I think Ichiban is as damn close as you could get it. I think he's a great character in... I, I just have to say it, like a bad game. Um, is this all battle system woes? No. Okay. Yeah. I really respect the shit out of the change to the battle system. Like, what a fucking brave move. Like a complete genre shift. I just hate the battles. I feel like they take so long. And there's just a bunch of mechanics in there that don't feel like they work at all. Like, there's so many moves that are area of effect moves, or, you know, this move affects, like, a line in front of your character. This move, like, goes in, like, a cone outward from your character. But it doesn't matter because you can't, you don't have any control over the movement of your character or your enemies, so you will trigger these moves and an enemy will step out of the way and it's like, well, if I'd known that, I would have used a different move. Mm. But, like, you can kind of, like, I get what you mean. When I run into an, a, a fight when they're all kind of close together, I switch to Kiru, Kiryu, not Kiryu, um, Ichiban as quick as possible and then do his AoE because I know it's the first hit is the only one I can get an AoE in. Mm. And it's kind of like, you can line them up, but it does feel like you're kind of cheesing it to a degree to hit those. In in parts like that, yeah. Like, if you're in a tight space, it's like, okay, Ichiban's gonna be my guy here. And, like, I can appreciate that, but so many of the fights are, like, especially in the open world, it's just... I'm just like, okay, what's my strongest move? I'm gonna use this. And, like... The whole kind of concept of the battle with the enemies turning into, like, fantasy versions of themselves, it just... I don't think it's good, you know? I don't think they change enough to make it actually make sense, because for a while I didn't realize it was happening until I was just like, oh, wait, okay. And then, like, sometimes it's like, you're fighting a man in a suit, and he turns into a man with a suit and a knife, and the man behind him turns into a giant underpants-wearing bottle-swinging guy, and I don't know, it just, it just, I, I don't know, it, it tonally, it just kind of doesn't really work for me, and like, Yakuza have always been over the place with tone, but it's the way they've walked that line that makes, makes me love those games, you know, and I don't know, I just feel there's so many enemies in it where it's like, the first time you see them, it's like, oh, okay, and then you see them again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and, um, I really feel like the fights are so repetitive and have so little strategic depth outside of figuring out what elements your opponent is weak to and just nailing them with that. And even then, so many of the enemies feel so damage spongy. Like, they just feel like they take so long of repeating the same pattern over and over and over and then just healing your guys and hitting them with the attack and... I, I just get zero enjoyment out of it. Like, I just feel like there's practically nothing to this battle system. Here's my, like, my issue with this. The battle system it had was super basic before. Like, super, super basic. Fights took a really long time. Enemies felt damage spongy. It seems like the same thing, but with a different way of, like, input way, you know? The fights definitely didn't take as long. I felt they did in the parts I've played, and I was really That's like... That's okay. That took like, a really long time. I understand time. that, but, like, I have played, you know, six I know, of these games. Played, I know like, you have. trust me, the fights do... Like, you can you can mop people up in those fights when you know what mm -hmm. you're doing. When you say, like, the fights don't have a lot of depth, like, you're absolutely right in the old games, they don't. 
They are, there is a level of expression in them though I like, like especially in the later games when you're talking about multiple different fighting styles and upgrade paths and like what way do you want to lean in, like do you want, do you want to like Majima to be like this counter based brawler, do you want him to be this just like, like meter building breakdancer, there was all this kind of stuff you could do, and I know there's job stuff in this but nothing, like, nothing about the jobs felt that interesting to me because the jobs didn't feel built around its particular playstyle. Mm. They just have different moves, you know? Yeah. And, like, so say with the old one, what I liked was say, like, okay, you get into a fight, you maybe want to, maybe you're fighting, like, a bunch of really fast enemies, so you switch into breakdancer style, and that's going to let you build meter super fast, and then you're going to, like, you know, switch over to another heavier hitting style and spend that meter, like, cashing in your big damage moves. And you might combine that with, like, breakable items in the environment. So it's like, okay, I know there's like a chair in this environment and two tables. At what point in the fight do I want to use those chairs and those tables? I fully feel that like, like I'm not going to make the argument that it's like a super deep combat system, but I really feel like when, like, especially like when you start getting those upgrade paths and you get all these different options, it's like there is totally stuff that you, you can express the way you want to fight. And I never, ever got that sense with the new one it also brings me on to like my next point and its presentation mm. one thing i love about like the yakuza the old yakuza fight system is i feel like it's just incredibly cinematic even the regular fighting a bunch of dudes in an alley it's like you can use the environment you go over and like you you spend some heat and you you know you throw a guy through a window and Kiryu jumps in afterward and drop kicks him and it's just all these really fucking incredibly animated heat moves that just punctuated every fight and it felt so good you know there's nothing really like that in this there's summons that cost a lot of money but like they're cutscenes you watch once or twice and then skip because they take like 30 seconds and they're good, like, they're they're presented well, but other than that, like, you're just kind of watching a bunch of people run back and forth, and, like, they're not doing anything interesting with the cinematography, they're not cutting in closer, they're just, they're just doing their thing, and, like, that would be bad enough for me in just the fights, but to me, it just infects nearly the entire game. I think you could criticize a lot about Yakuza plots, uh, I think it's definitely something that feels very kind of made up in stages. I think the only Yakuza game that I feel like has a really brilliant plot is Yakuza 0. I think the way that game is constructed is like just incredible. A lot of the other Yakuza games, and even Yakuza 0 a bit, it's kind of Kiryu stumbling into a Yakuza conspiracy and solving it by accident. Like, that is most Yakuza games. I don't care though, because... For me, like, if you listen to this podcast long enough, you don't even watch my videos and stuff, I don't really care what happens in a story as much as the way it happens. And there's so many different ways you can communicate this, but with Yakuza, it could do so much with its visuals. It did so much through how it, like, conducted a cutscene. I could not write out the plot to Yakuza, Yakuza 6. I, like... I could put it all together when I played it, but like, it, a lot happened since then. But when I think of um, of Kiryu walking past Takumi and the way the camera cuts to his eyes and then cuts to Takumi and waits to the last second where it seems like they're going to physically like bump into each other and then just at the last second it cuts to the side and Takumi steps to the side and Ryu walks past him, that like 12 second cutscene 
told you everything you needed to know about those two characters. And for the rest of that 40-hour game, just from that piece of cinematography, you could not wait to fucking see what was going to happen between those two people just because it just it conveyed everything about who they were. And it was fucking beautiful. And that, that's something I love about these games so, so much. And Jesus Christ, so many of the cutscenes in Yakuza 7 are just really... Now, it's not all of them. There are absolutely good cutscenes. And, like, the first cutscene you see is really well done. But so many of the cutscenes are just people standing, and it's mid-shot, 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 back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, in-engine. You know, these aren't the pre-rendered cutscenes of, like, high-end Yakuza games. They're the... They're just trash cutscenes. And it's so disappointing, and I just feel it so difficult to get into. I'm sure the story gets good eventually, but I'm 20 hours in, and it honestly, like I talked about, I talked about um, Ichiban being this really cool character. I feel like he's this really cool character you toss into a toy box and just shake around. And that's your story because it's just him bouncing off other characters. It's not telling me anything more about who he is. It's not telling me anything more about like the admittedly really good narrative they set up in the first couple hours. It's just me following this fucking paper trail of like money and like money laundering. And I don't care. Like, I just don't care. And even like his party, they're charming. I don't give a shit about them. You know, like they're they're fine. Like I like the the girl we just got, but even then, like I have a feeling I exper- I've experienced her story, and it was nothing. It was pretty much she was worried about her sister, who was more central to the story, and now it's now she's just a member of the party, and it's like okay, and it's just it's kind of devastating. And like I get that some people are going to be like, you need to not focus on the fact that this is a yakuza game and just enjoy it as a game. And I genuinely feel like that's a valid criticism of my criticisms. But at the same time, you can sneeze, Neve. Um, at the same time, it's like, I don't need this game to be the same as other Yakuza games. But if it's not going to be those games, I have to feel like it's bringing something else of value. I think, like, the Berserk movies lose a lot of what makes that manga great. It uses the camera in some really fucking amazing ways, and it does some really good stuff with wide-scale battles and movement in a way that you just can't do with a manga. So I'm happy. Well, you could probably argue that this is the first one that they've done as an RPG with a new cast and kind of doing a party cast mm. like like story, and maybe maybe the second one is where they'll have kind of put everything they've learned, like the second one with Ichiban. So like that's my hope, you know, and that's my hope is that this was them learning. But, and like, I'm not saying this to you, Neve, because other mm. people have said this to me as well. But like, that does not, to me, excuse any of the problems I have with the game. And it's like, it, it is my hope that the next Yakuza game, they're going to rate, like, they're going to dial this in. They've improved the combat. But I feel like my problems with this game, the vast majority of them aren't, bec- aren't that it's a turn-based RPG. My problems are that that this is a now a yearly iteration. This is now a yearly series. I don't think they're doing anything this year, but this is their third game in their third year in a row. And also, they've taken a 40-hour game and stretched it out to an 80-hour game, and I just feel like the cracks are everywhere. I get that people love this game. I don't. 
and I've really, really fucking tried. People have been asking, am I going to make a video about this? No. And the reason I'm not going to make a video out of it is because the idea of spending another 60 hours with this game is the most boring thing in the world and I cannot do it. So, yeah, I don't like Yakuza 7 at all. It's pretty good though, isn't it? It is a good game, yeah. Okay, just, you know, not for you. <laughs> no, it's a fucking shit game. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, we all have these games that you want to love and then you're like, ooh, maybe this the franchise is not going in the direction I want it to go and I'm not enjoying it anymore. Yeah. Final Fantasy VII Remake. I think, but like, I think it's hitting, this is hitting me harder because Judgment, I didn't like that either. Mm-hmm. And I think I prefer Judgment to this, but this is just, I just, yeah, I am devastated. I... I'm glad everyone's having a good time. I'm glad you're not having a good time. That's so mean, Brian. It is mean, isn't it? Yeah. It's a positive podcast. It is. That's why I'm saying some positive stuff. Brian. Yeah. Tell us about the new game from the fucking guy who made Sonic. Okay. uh, I played the demo for Balin Wonderworld. Do you guys know what this is? I have the demo downloaded. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited. This is a 3D platformer from... um, Two key creators in Sonic the Hedgehog. That is, uh, it's directed by Yuji Naka, and then the main artist is uh, Naoto Oshima. And they would have done the original Sonic the Hedgehog games on the Mega Drive Genesis. Um, But this feels a bit more closer to the 3D Sonic games and Billy Hatcher. In this game, uh, it's a 3D, uh, it's a children's cute 3D platformer mascot game in which you play as a boy or a girl and you wear different costumes that give you different abilities. And the trailers for this game made it look sort of interesting. It looked like something I would play. I watched some of the trailers and it was kind of like, what is this? So some of the cutscenes are these pre-rendered QuickTime files. I think I saw a trailer that was just them. Yeah. And then when you see the actual game, especially the Switch version, and this game is getting ported to every fucking console. What's the maker of Sonic, Brian? Yeah, it's going to w- be a big I w- hit. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out in the GameCube. Like, this is just, it's coming out in every fucking... This is going to be another Billy Hatcher. Oh, yeah. I own Billy Hatcher, by the way. I would believe it. Yeah. I'm uh, This guy right here, Brian Hatcher. <laughs> you know what I'm about. Um, so I played this game for about 50 minutes, and I was like, I can't play anymore. This just breaks some of the worst rules about platformers. Oh my God, okay. So your run in this game is so fucking slow, but your animation for the run looks like you're running on like ice, but you're not getting any friction with your run. Like you are walking as your character is animated to look like they're running. Like you, you make fuck all progress as you go from point A to point B on a level. Uh, the jump has barely any forward momentum, which is... So, the two most important things about a platformer are the running and the jumping. <laughs> <laughs> and this game fucks up both of them. And you, I was just playing, I was like, this just feels wrong. I am I think I'm like three times as excited to try this now. It's... Oh, it's, it's abysmal. I'm so... Like, I'm really, really glad they put out this demo because now I know I don't need to buy this game. Like, I really appreciate them... Giving me the heads up not to waste my money on this. I like when that happens. Yeah, honestly. Uh, so so, so thanks, guys. I recommend everyone give the demo a go just to see how not to make a video game. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm done. That's your, that's your YouTube video, Brian. Uh, Ball in Wonderland, how not to make a video game. Yeah. 
There you go. I don't think I've heard any, heard anyone say anything nice about this game. It's just like all the people that this is aimed at are just rejecting it. Brian, you don't get it. It's Yuji Naka. He already had his chance with Rodeo Sky Soldier. Nobody bought that fucking thing. Okay, Rodeo Sky Soldier was a game that was supposed to come out on the Wii. It missed the Wii. So instead it released on the Wii U, but they felt so bad it came bundled with a Wii disc of the exact same game. That's not how you do stuff. Hey, he also made that game where you put the Wii controller on a plastic box and you tap the box. Why would you Yuji Nak is a fucking genius. No, he was a genius. Just like Miyamoto was a genius. They're all, they're all old hacks now. And they're just like wheeled out for fucking E3 and they introduce something they didn't make. And then the, the, the stuff they do make is shite. At least Hideo Kojima still got it. Uh. <laughs> they're all dinosaurs. Oh, just let the next generation fucking helm these big Maybe things. Who's your favorite man over 40 who makes video games? Probably Kojima, oh, gotta no. say. <laughs> He's my favorite. Not David Cage, no? Ooh. I'll always get a David Cage or a Kojima game day one. Oh Neve, you are such a puzzle. <laughs> You've done. I love not liking things. How about you, John? Um, Cliffy B. That's that guy up there. Oh, no. Oh, Cliffy B or Randy Pitchford. <laughs> okay, for me, actually, it's the guy who made... Um... <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like, a genuinely beloved old man who makes... Like, Todd Howard? Like... <laughs> <laughs> You know, the, the, the guy who made Tetris, the people like him? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> Is there any information about him? Um, who's the guy that made Bioshock? What the fuck happened to him? Oh, he did an unsuccessful Kickstarter for a game that was not Bioshock. And then I think he went and wrote the script to Logan's Run. Cool. Ken Levine, that's his Ken name. Ken Levine, A yeah. really important person now. I mean, no one hates Ken Levine. No, but that's because maybe he got out while he was lucky. Yeah, stopped tweeting at a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Good going, man. Yeah. Way to go, everybody. Okay, real quick. I, I've been playing a bit more Omori. Is it good yet? Is it growing on you? Mm-hmm. You know, you made some maybe that's a no that's a long <laughs> I, no I'm still, okay, I'm still playing i'm still playing apprehensively positive yeah because everyone's just like no john it's bad at the start but then it just like blows your mind wide open i've seen all these comments everyone's true believer that you'll come around on amori i might yeah i haven't but i might okay so this is this is a weird game because i think i really thought it was something and it's not that thing it's something else. Because recently I was like, I've been playing this for a couple of hours now and I don't feel like we're like winding down. This game on time to beat is 22 hours long. Oh no. That's big. And I'm yeah. like, what the fuck? Why is this I thought game it was going to be like eight. Yeah, yeah I thought yeah. it'd be like five I, I thought it was going to be like hours. six, eight mm. at the most, you know? Yeah. No, it's 22 hours to beat the main story. Mm. And I'm like, okay. It's too long. I do think 22 hours is too long because I'm an adult and I have responsibilities. But then about, I don't know, like three or four hours in, you get to this point and like the nature of reality in that world shifts and the story becomes very different. And I am digging more what the story is now. Uh, It's kind of similar, the same or similar characters in a very different setting and style. And that did that. That was my first moment of being like, okay, okay, this isn't 
this isn't nothing. You know, like, there, there's something here. They've started doing some kind of interesting stuff with, like, the battle system and kind of how that relates to kind of who some of these characters are, which I appreciate. I don't think it's completely successful. And I'd say so far, nearly everything about this game, except, like, maybe just the visual aesthetic, I don't think is, like, completely successful. I think I'm having two problems with it. One, it's buggy as shit. Yes. Like, just constant immersion-breaking bugs. It's never crashed, but... You know, it is a game that is selling you on its vibe, and that is difficult. And then I just don't think the dialogue is very well written. There's a lot of, like, dialogue tropes in there. I know we kind of talked about tropes recently, and it's kind of like, you know, tropes don't always need to be a bad thing. In dialogue, I think tropes can be a really bad thing, because it doesn't feel... Because if there's too much of them, it doesn't feel like a character speaking. It just feels like someone writing things that already exist, you know? And... I am having that issue there. I don't think the battles are super engaging. But there is something about this game that is not letting me leave. You know, it does kind of have me and I want to see where it goes. And some of the stuff like it's doing with mental health, I don't see anything particularly interesting the story is saying about mental health. I think some of the visual representations are very interesting. So yeah, I think I'm in this and i'm going to see it through to the end i don't know when it's going to be but when i finish it is going to be the next time i talk about it on this podcast because i'm not interested in being ambiguous about a game three episodes in a row yeah yeah fair enough take yeah. your time with it you can talk about yeah. it in, in the autumn if you want maybe it will completely change like 22 hours is a long time yeah and like it hasn't been slow like things are happening and things are progressing in some interesting ways and it has done some stuff where it's like okay i think i'm a little more invested in these characters than i used to be it's just not i'm not like dying to play it either Mm. it's also i really i'm playing it on pc and i just i fucking hate playing shit on pc so tedious yeah um there's too many menus and too many calibrations and yeah it's, it's not like, your I know, main I know, I know, I know people are very passionate about playing stuff on the PC. I spend 11 hours a day sitting at my PC. I don't want to spend 12, you know? Yeah. Um, so if you're waiting for it to come out on Switch, I would, because I think they'll also have a lot of the bugs. That screen cropping shit still isn't finished. It's too narrow. Like, it, it, it's, like the border is way I'm too big. I'm starting to think, like, is that an artistic choice? Because the pixel art's so nice, it should it's be blasted beautiful, but up. the pixel art's also tiny, like really tiny little characters. Yeah, and so like it looks really scratchy. Blow them up and shit, because like the environments are really beautifully decorated as well. Like they're really simple, but they're lovely. And like, you really have to get close to that screen to see a lot of that stuff. Mm. And I'm hoping, all they gotta do is just fucking blow it up a little bit. I don't give a shit if it's not the right resolution, just blow it up. Yeah. I'll keep playing it. Um, if people think I'm going to love this game... I think they should temper their expectations. Unless it's the most insane shit in the world, I think the best case outcome here is that I really like it and I don't want another Yakuza 7 situation. John, you're going to love it. Stay positive. Okay, everyone, I'm just saying, Yakuza 7, the disc is out of the PlayStation. It's in my forbidden closet. It's 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 over. It's it's over. It's proudly collecting dust. It's it's done. Uh, Neve, you played Desperados 3. I have. Um, I have not much to say about this because I don't really know how to talk about real-time tactics games. I, don't, I haven't played a lot of Just them. Just use your feelings and like paint a picture. Okay. Well, I guess most of them are military games, but this one isn't. This is a Western. So this is a top-down, painting with my feelings, cowboy game. Perfect. Where yeah. you're a little plastic cowboy Aww. who 
needs to kill a lot of people. <laughs> of course. And that's what you do. The first mission is like, it really has some like, you know, Western locations. So the first um, mission is a old steam train that's like, there's rocks blocking the tunnel and you got to blow them up with some old fashioned They're trying to rob that their train. They are. They're trying to rob a train and you're... Those damn Barnaby boys and old man Barnaby, they got themselves an old stagecoach heist. Literally dialogue from the game. Wow. (laughs) Uh, You play as uh, kind of like an everyman cowboy, your generic main character and Jim Manson. Literally. Cooper. Cooper. Yes, I think his John name is actually Cooper is John his name. Cooper. My name is John Cooper. I'm a human. <laughs> I have legs and arms. And he has the basic legs and arms abilities, so he can like shoot two guns, so you get two kills, but like that will cause noise and you will bring more bad guys to you. But you also have a throwing knife, which is a silent kill, but you have to collect your knife. He also has a coin that you can flip and which will distract people. Or if someone's walking behind a horse, if you hit that horse with a coin, the horse might buck and knock that Kicks guy their out. fucking face right in. Just like, right Don, in. just like Don Draper's dad. And there's, um, <laughs> there is four other characters as well. There is a big burly Mexican guy who has a bear trap called Bianca. And he likes to get drunk and leave his bear trap down and he can whistle and then people will walk into the bear trap. But quite like uh, Cooper's knife, he needs to collect his bear trap. But his whistle will bring people right into it. So he's great. Um, there's another, there's a female character in it. Her her moves are very gendered. Gotta say, one of them is to flirt. Does she, lo- does she like show her leg? Uh, no, but it does start off with a kind of like a, a sham wedding. So she's in a wedding dress, like, that, you know. But that's what women did. They got married. <laughs> Pretty much. So it's like a lot of cowboy kind of Western cliches that are in there, but like they make it work. And she's a fun character. Like uh, her other thing is that she can throw perfume bottles, which will like create a glass And Eve, I have cloud. seen you throw perfume bottles in fights. It's true. <laughs> I keep them. <laughs> so many perfume bottles. Yeah. At all times. She smells great. There is an old man who cannot climb vines because he's too elderly to do so. He's the doctor, right? He's the doctor, yes. But he has a, a sniper rifle. What's his name, doctor? Oh, it's such a cowboy name, whatever it was. I have no idea. I can't remember. More like Dr. Boomstick or something. More boring. <laughs> like more generic. Dr. Smith. But he is a bag that you throw out and if people look in the bag it will be a poisonous gas that will knock them out giving you a chance to kill kill them. Because that's the goal. you got to clear a map and do some... So they all have their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, they all have their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, and you're you're dramatically outmatched. So you yeah. gotta you got to be clever. Is this a bit like, I guess... Not visually, but in terms of gameplay, is it somewhere between like Hotline Miami and Hades? I would say Hotline Miami and like an XCOM. Okay, yeah. yeah. You can. Um, I'm just thinking about Hades because you've got that spell cast that you need to pick up again. It's like a, it's Hades is like an action game. This is not turn based, but it's it's like not an action game. Yeah, it's okay. slow. Like all right. Like, it took me 40 minutes to do one map, and then at the end, it was just like you could see just challenges and the map was like do it in five and i was like Ugh, no it's gonna take me 40 minutes to do these uh, maps at least that's guys. probably for crazy people who've just learned it off yeah exactly but like there's a lot of opportunity to 
kind of mix it up and play it your own way and use these characters how you would like to and you know you can fulfill like you'll hear people in the town talking like there was uh this this drunk cow cowgirl who you needed to kill so we figured she liked her whiskey so you could maybe poison the whiskey or you could just shoot her like whatever's faster yeah but you could do like hitman and exactly. have a bit of flair to it hitman is not an unreasonable comparison yeah um, I don't know if it's doing anything in this genre particularly good or bad. I'm enjoying it. It's an unusual game for me to play and I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's like kind of slow, methodical, work your way through a map kind of get. You don't want anyone to see you. It really encourages saving and restarting. Like if you go longer than a minute without saving, it will say last save a minute yeah. ago. So it's constantly asking you to save and if you fuck up, then like, I, to I really liked that because I feel like I feel like so often quick save is a kind of mechanic that gets put into games that like people don't think about how it can break the game. And it's nice to see a game that really is like takes the fact that you can quick save into account and kind of yeah, just does it makes it work. It button maps them like I'm playing it on the Xbox and like one of your little buttons is to save and the other is to load Mm -hmm. and it'll do the first quick save you did. So it's a very cautious game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's a mechanic as well where you basically kind of go into like like slow motion but like nothing moving and you can map out all the actions of your different party and then begin time and just let it play out. And I didn't get to, I, I, I played a little bit off Neve's recommendation um, and I didn't get to play around with it that much but I was like, there's a lot of potential here. Like yeah. this, I kind of talked about Spelunky a lot about like how there's nearly like a chemistry to that game and the way all the different elements react to each other. Completely different genre, but this seems like a really similar kind of thing. And um, I also think the presentation was really cool. Yeah, it's I super cute. All the animations felt good and crunchy and like impactful, even though they're just like little little toy men on screen, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a lot on my plate game wise at the moment, so I don't know if I'd spend more time with it right now, but it seems awesome. If you have Game Pass, it's free on Game Pass. And if you don't have Game Pass and you are playing on the PlayStation, the demo lets you do the first two missions for free and those first two missions can take you anywhere between like i'd say 40 minutes to two and a half hours to complete so like you know that's a big chunk of game for free yeah yeah totally brian yeah tell us what you got all right um i played Mega Man 7 i've never played Mega Man 7 but i've always wanted to this is an odd and unusual game in the Mega Man history so the first six Mega Man games were on the NES or the Famicom. And they had the same sprite art throughout. The seventh Mega Man is on the Super Nintendo and it has a 16-bit sprite pa- palette and it was made in between the second and third Mega Man X series, which was the reboot of oh, Mega that's Man. that's so weird. And so this is a really odd and unusual game. I, did, I didn't know game. this game existed. Exactly. I didn't know. Well, like, I, I'd seen it, and it's one of those games I've been meaning to play for ages. I think I just thought it was a Mega Man X game. Same. But I guess the Mega Man X games, you play as X, and he's a completely different design to Mega Man. Not he's, Mega Man. No, he's not Mega Man at all. And like, Is that the sexy one, red hair? No, that's his boyfriend. That's, okay. that's uh, yeah. I think you're thinking of maybe Rockman? Sure. He's, he's got blonde hair, but he wears a lot of red. Okay, maybe. Yeah. But Mega Man uh, in this is the original Mega Man character, and this takes place six months after Mega Man 6. 
and Dr. Wily's up to no good again. Oh, God damn it. And it's the usual, you've got eight levels with a boss at each, uh, at, at, at the end of each one, and then you take on Dr. Wily. But this game is looks amazing and sounds amazing. Holy shit, the soundtrack in this game is so good. It is the most cruel and unfair game I've ever played. And I've had to play a ROM of it with save states. And it's the only way you can play this busted ass. Like, so this game has moments where like, you as Mega Man have to fall down like a pit down multiple screens. And the way Mega Man works is that he can take a few hits from lasers and beams and stuff, but if he touches a spike, he just instantly dies, which doesn't make any sense. Um, but there's a bit where you have to fall down multiple pits and then the spikes start forming parallel to you and you have to kind of like funnel your way down these spikes without grazing off them. I know, yeah. And the only way to like survive this is to die multiple times and learn it off unless you've save states. So I was thinking about this stuff recently because like there's so many games I love from like the Super Nintendo era and I'm like, I'm not going to use like save states. I'm just going to do it. And then you hit something like this and you're like, fuck this. Like, what am I meant to do? How did I do this when I was little? Like, have I gotten really bad at games? And the answer is yes. But the answer is also when you were little, you you had like eight or nine hours free a day and you would play up to that point and then you would die and you would just do it again and again. And I also think, I bet your performance was sharpened because you knew that you were never going to get by this bit unless you learned it. Yep. What else could you do? Nope, there's nothing. Um, I was reading up a bit on the background of this game. It had one playtester. Huh. And I bet that playtester was very good. I bet he tried his best. Yeah, um, so I bet he just like fucking breezed through the levels because he probably also designed them and was like, these are fine, ship the game. Another interesting bit about the development of this game is it was made in three months. <laughs> three fucking months. And developers, KG Inafune, and, uh, KG Inafune and the gang were real proud of it at the time, but have since realized that there's a lot of tiny little things they could have fixed on it. I think with save states, this game is possible to play and not feel frustrated on. And I think that's satisfying just because the sprite art of like the enemies and some of your friends and the gang and the world, everything looks so nice and polished and the pixel arts age real well. It doesn't look janky and old Mm -hmm. like 90s pixel art sometimes does. There's something really timeless about the visuals and it's great to complete the game because a lot of the cutscenes, a lot of the dialogue in this game is super fun and cute and charming. Brian, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Does Mega Man kill Dr. Wily? He he doesn't. Okay, because Brian Brian posted an Instagram story. And it was like Mega Man pointing his gun at Dr. Wily and being like, I'm going to kill you, Wily. Well, well but- see, 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 what happens is Wily goes, you can't kill me, you're a robot. And then Mega Man like does some near Automata shit where he's like, I am more than just a robot. <laughs> and he starts charging up the beam. So so then what happens is Bass and Treble, who who are kind of like the like counterpart. Bass is like the, he's like the shadow of the hedgehog of the Mega Man universe. Oh yes, he is. Uh, he rescues Wily because... Base was created by Wily. And then Mega Man walks out of Wily's lab with the explosion going on in the background and he doesn't turn back to look at it. And this game was made in 95. So on Brian's Instagram stories, he just posted the picture where Mega Man's like, I'm going to kill you, Wily. And the next picture he posted was Mega Man walking away. I just think that's a better story. <laughs> it is, no argument. So so, so next I'm going to play Mega Man and Base. Uh, this is a SNES game that only came out in Japan and it came out in 1998. 
That's when Banjo Kazooie came out. Oh, weird. Yeah, they, 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 they should have stopped making SNES games by then, but they didn't, and I'm going to play it. And apparently it's busted as fuck, and I can't wait. Cool. Neve. Yes. You got a PSP PSA. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> what happened? Um, I bought Valkyria Profile Leneth to play on my PSP because I've heard really good things about it. And I just wanted to use my PSP because I really like that console. I went, my game arrived, went to put it in my PSP and I noticed the back of it was no longer flush. I pulled out the battery and the battery had completely swollen. Oh, oh no. So my battery just dead. So I had to order a new battery. I know I can play, like play this emulated, but I don't want to. I want to play it on my PSP. Playing handheld games but, is uh, great. My PSA is to go check your PSP if you haven't, because it's just a thing that happens with age. My battery hadn't gotten to the stage where it had leaked, so it hadn't damaged the console. But the next step after it bloats is for it to crack open and leak. So check your PSPs. Let's fit a boss podcast. Literally saving lives. Literally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe someday I'll get to get to talk to you about um, Valkyrie profile Leneth. Either of you play it? No, I, no I've, I'm, it's I'm, the kind I'm of thing like with those games. But... Every eight years, someone says it to me at a party. Ah, I go to some pretty shitty parties. I'll be that person at the shitty party telling you about it soon enough. You guys like PSP games? <laughs> you guys, uh, you guys play some Valkyrie profile. <laughs> you guys like batteries? <laughs> you like doing batteries? <laughs> Uh, that hasn't been Neve talking for like the last 20 seconds. That was all me and Brian. You feel that charge? <laughs> um, guys, I played Haven, not to be confused with the PlayStation 2 game, also called Haven, that was set to redefine the world of gaming with its introduction of a new genre. Ah, I know this game. Yeah. The little guy with his like red dreadlocks and cool his little guy. face that's kind of like... John. John's doing like a goblin face. Yeah. Um, no, this is Haven from the Game Bakers, and you guys might know the Game Wait, Bakers. The Bakers, the Game Bakers, not Makers. No. Bakers. Holy shit! Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. I'm just making sure we know what we're talking about. This is not the Game Makers. There's, someone should really that. That's a good name for a studio because I feel like if I heard that name, I'd be like, oh shit, they're they're here. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're physically in my apartment <laughs> the actual people who make games have finally arrived like none of this fucking around um, but no this is from Game Bakers and they're the same guys who did Fury um, what was that face Neve? I just know everything about the story of this game that you're... <laughs> I bet you don't I do I do yeah yeah it's kind of been an issue in the LGBT community never mind keep going okay I had a feeling there would be stuff maybe you should maybe I'm kind of curious to hear this. What is it? Um, I know it's about a straight couple who cannot be together because of the evil doings of a lesbian. Oh, no. Neve, what did you do? I don't know. Okay, because I, right now, for me, it's just a boy and a girl in a spaceship. There's no lesbian queen yet. She'll she'll come around and she'll ruin everyone's fun. Okay, well, that's disappointing to hear because I am having a nice time with this one. Hey, maybe it is. Maybe you'll love it. Maybe I don't know. I don't. I don't love it when people are like gay people are evil. <laughs> so it's not not one of my favorite things that 
I think it's weird to do kind of an allegory kind of story about kind of not being able to be together because it's kind of this this world where um, you kind of have a prescribed partner and then these this couple falls in love outside of that Mm. Um, and I think it's weird to put the person in charge of that world to make them a gay person it's like really weird optics we have not touched on well like we touched on the first part but like I don't Whoever this lesbian character is, she hasn't, like, the only characters in it right now are just the guy and the girl. Yeah, it's a really strange rule of her to make. Yeah. Course. Well, that's... I think she might be enforcing it, but, yeah. God fucking damn it. Oh, people. There's been so much shit I've found recently where it's like, I really like this. And then I get to episode fucking four, and there's, like, a naked child, and I'm like, oh, no. No more episodes for you, John. Yeah, fucking God. Jobless Reincarnation was really good for like three episodes. <sighs> fucking ruined my favorite thing, script. Anyway. Um, I'm going to keep going with this game. I'm going to comment on that. For the moment, I'm just going to go off the stuff I've seen. Um, And that is basically... I guess what I liked about this game was that it is from The Guys of Fury, a notoriously difficult game. Uh, Fury was a boss rush game, heavily influenced by stuff like um, Afro Samurai, and I loved it. It's totally the kind of game a lot of people just are not going to have the enthusiasm for this kind of game. To it's like, it's a real John the, game. It's a real John game. It's get your head kicked in a hundred times and then feel a little better when you actually win. And um, this game is not like that at all. In fact, in the opening like text, they say this is not a challenging game, and I was like, oh, that's strange. And what it is, is like this super laid back, like, explorum up kind of game. You are this guy and this girl, and you crash land on, uh, you crash land on this planet from, it's basically Toe Jam and Earl if they were fucking. You have to, (laughs) maybe they were actually, I'm not going to make that assumption, but, um, you basically have to explore the planet and, like, like, interact with its different kind of, like, terrain and its animals and like you have to find it's a lot of like just exploring these like kind of different island and it's not like the most exciting thing in the world but it's engaging enough that it's kind of fun because like you have these glide boots and you glide all over these different landscapes like collecting rust and stuff like that that's kind of the meat and potatoes of the game but like the heart of it is like the interaction between this guy and this girl you and kai those are definitely my favorite parts of the game, but that's not to say I think they're all good. I think some of the dialogue tries very hard to be cutesy and fails. I think like the first conversation they have particularly is just kind of like, I heard it and I was like, well, I have wasted 24 euro. You oh, know? no. Yeah. There's a line where it's like, wow, this is awesome. Your butt's awesome. And I was like, well, fuck it. Why did we even try? Why do I play shit that I don't know is good? This was a mistake. But to be honest with you, like, there is... The way they're written, like... I'd say there's as many hits for the, as there is misses, you know? Like, there, there is, like... There is stuff in-game... Okay. This is an over-18s podcast, okay? And we can talk about stuff sometimes. We can talk about some real shit. There is one point where they have a very normal conversation about semen. And it is genuinely the kind of conversation that happens in the bedroom if you have been with someone long enough that you're just used to each other's bodies and each other's bodies' habits. And I was like, wow, I haven't experienced this in a game before. This is fucking new. 
And I genuinely appreciate it because like, you know, it is this couple and they just have a healthy, good sex life and they like being around each other and they get on each other's nerves in some pretty convincing ways and they're close in some pretty convincing ways and I really like the girl, I don't like the guy. Um, but I understand why they're together and I understand what they get out of each other and that's the part of the game that's kind of keeping me invested. The girls, I think, I really like the voice performance on the girl. The guy is less so. He's a bit. He's a little bit like, whoa, you know, that kind of voice acting. Oh yeah. And also, his dialogue is constantly clipping. Oh. Yeah. That's a pity. It, it's really weird. Um, I have had some sound issues with it. Like, there's parts where like the music kept cutting out and cutting back in. I've also had a hard crash. Mm. Yeah. Are you playing this on PS4? Switch. Switch. Okay. Um, I don't know if the issues are with PS4 as well, but um, for me, the Switch is the console that crashes the most with games. I, yeah, I could see that. I mean, it's the least powerful by miles. So yeah. maybe that has something to do with it. But um, I'm enjoying this game. Like, I like it so far. All I've experienced is this guy and the girl. Like, if there's this overarching, like, the evil lesbian is here, that's bad. But I guess I, I will, I will get to that and see because I want to keep going with it. Um. Hard one to recommend as well. I think you would both hate it. Cool. Yeah. That <laughs> sounds great. Yeah, sounds great. So that's a positive message for us. <laughs> it's a positive podcast. But yeah, I'm gonna, like, I have enjoyed my time with it, but I'm, I guess, like, in light of what Neve's saying, I have no choice but to give it, like, a kind of shaky, <laughs> Well, like, th- those are the criticisms brought from, like, you know, like, LGBT gamers and you know I listen to them but like other people like this game and if you want to like it you can like your shitty weird semen game <laughs> thank you Neve. well I don't know like as much shit as I, I give you on this podcast Neve, I don't like to support media that I feel actively makes your life worse ah I don't think it does I just think it's a weird you know what I mean? It's just a read, and it's the read is that's a bad decision. Someone should have probably told you to make a different villain. It, mm. Yeah, it feels like a really goofy double standard that yeah could have been addressed earlier on. Yeah, do you not see the hypocrisy in this? Yeah, yeah. No. It, like, <laughs> I guess in a way as well. I don't need to. What I feel like I'm getting out of this game, I don't need to be told an epic tale of these two lovers split apart and brought back together. I just want my weird cum spaceship adventure. Hey, people like cum. It's an over-18s podcast. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Can I talk about my last game? Yeah. Thank God he said game. Magical Poppin'. This fucking game. It's the most Brian-ass fucking game. So I've been looking at this all week and being like, is it meant to say Poppin' Twinbee? What? Oh, we'll get to Poppin' Twinbee later this okay, year. Okay, okay. For now, we're talking about Magical Poppin'. This is a SNES game as well that also came out in 1995, and it takes about one or two hours to complete. And it is a platformer in which you play as a magical princess who is aspiring to be, I guess, a wizard or warlock. She's not a witch. I know that for sure. She's called Poppin', but she's got magical powers. And look at that art. That's very cute. The artwork for the game cover was done by one of the founders of Gainax. Huh. And this game is really unusual. It was printed... It it only came out in Japan, and I'm playing a fan translation of the ROM. 
and it had a limited run and on the front of the box it had really really cool artwork and then on the back back of the box it had some screenshots of the game and then a big banner at the bottom that says this game is fully voice acted and it was voice acted by an adult video star and they have a they have her photo and you don't mean age i i i well like an av star okay and just all of that combined is something really, really special. This game, to buy physically, the loose cartridge of it costs at least €500. Euro. Wow. To buy it fully boxed in mint condition, we're talking 2000 to €300. Euro. Holy shit. Um, I'm very glad I got to play this, though. It's like Panzer's, Panzer Dragoon Saga's. Yeah, it's absolutely one of those elusive games that just has faded into obscurity and now it's worth a lot. Um, so the way this works is it's a side-scrolling platformer, but the levels are incredibly long. But I think there's only like seven or eight levels in total. But the levels are kind of like Metroidvanias in that you go left to right or right to left, but you can also go up and down and there's multiple routes to get to your exit. And the game encourages you to explore because you get health boosts that give you more hearts and they also you also find weapon enhancements that allow you to cross later parts of the level that you couldn't have crossed before. And so it's this kind of fun mixture of a light Metroidvania meets a kind of more detailed 2D platformer. Oh, Brian, sorry. You remember you were trying to come up with a new name for Metroidvania? I was saying search action. I came up with a better name. What? Uh, Corner Scratchers. Corner Scratchers. That sounds kind of creepy. That's shit. No, it's, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's really good because you're you're going through the map. Like scratching that corn. I've about and, so many games. The and, Last of Us 2 was the corner scratcher. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's a very flexible term. Um, so it's like... So almost like a video game. It's, it's you know, you're going through the map and you're going to each corner and like... You didn't like neither. Of you liked try and die when I pitched that first. And you both use that now. I, I think try and die is good, but that's more for a roguelike. I think it is a roguelike. That's no, that, this, this that's game rogue. I'm uh, sorry. Try and dies used to be called roguelikes. People might not know that. Whoa. Yeah. So yeah, it's a corner scratcher game, as you were saying. I like search action. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It makes it sound way more <laughs> enticing than it actually is. Is there? What's the voice acting like? Uh, her voice is way too deep for the character she's playing. <laughs> and like, is it full lines or is it so, just like... What was um, the decision? She'll like get like an upgrade and you can obviously tell the voice acting is taking up a large part of the SNES chip, but it's really like clippy. So it's like... And you're like, I think she said lucky. I don't know. Um, But, but like this game has its charms. Sorry. It's, it's kind of goofy, but I love it. Brian, I'm just trying to put this together. You said it's an Aviva actor. Is that like a Gravor actor? Uh, yeah. I don't know if she's done anything harder than that. Okay. She she is no I longer with us. I guess I'm just us. trying to like, like she she passed away a couple of years ago. That's very sad. I guess I'm just trying to get to the logic of why. Because this does not look because like because she was clearly someone's favorite star. This like game is aimed the, yeah. like, like like this game is made by otaku's for otaku's. Okay. Yeah. And. There is a Venn diagram in there where a bunch of guys worship this particular actress. Someone realized there was a way that they could be in the same room as her. Uh, if she recorded her lines for half an hour for a fucking mm-hmm. little cutie game. Okay, well, I hope that worked out for them. Yeah. Um, though this, this, this game is great. It looks great, sounds great. It's really pushing the hardware to its limit. 
a couple points of the game really shits the bed in terms of frame rate and speed because there's too much going on visually. I love when that happens in a SNES game because you're like, oh no, it's trying to cross yeah, over to the next good. gen. It feels good. Yeah, it's like it's trying to be like PlayStation N64, but it's struggling. It's bumping up against the limits of its reality. Yeah, because like, do you remember in the early 90s when they were like, this is the pinnacle of games. Like, it's never going to get any better than this. And then when it is, it's like, Argh! do you guys remember a point where you were like, this is as good as it's going to like, we're never going to get past this like a game that you played that you were like oh my god yeah like this is the we're here we're game. here um so, so for me it was I, I was with my dad in game the the game shop that's now long gone uh but they were i think it was the dreamcast they were just demoing some tennis mat tennis game but my dad thought it was an actual tennis match i could see that though like those virtual tennis games the animation were so convincing and, and like from far yeah, away and it's just far looked, enough away that you can't so i get that yeah so so he was looking at it he was studying it and then he realized it was a game i remember uh seeing tekken tree for the first time and i was just like it's just like real people okay so that was for me with <laughs> WWF Smackdown for the PlayStation 1, the first one. Go just everyone go back and look at that footage. Just just yeah. go look it up. And <laughs> little John looking at that and being like, it's like I'm there. <laughs> I, I think I think I remember you telling me before, and you said if their health bars weren't up in the top corners of the screens. I would believe that's real. I read that in a I, I said that in a room full of boys, and they all went, Whoa. <laughs> My boys are really stupid. Oh man, that group of boys, there were some fucking, maybe stories for a different time. Probably not for this podcast either. There's this some saucy, saucy things. Yeah, some of them are okay. Some of them get a little blue. Yeah, they're too much calm. Mm-hmm. Wait, no. It's <laughs> just trying to share some honest appreciation with you guys. Hey, stop talking about games. <laughs> What the fuck were we talking about? Um, <laughs> Little Princess Poppins. Magical okay. Poppin. Yeah. A, a fantastic game. Everybody should play this game. Um, it's so cute. I love it. It's just brilliant. It's a great time. Big smile on my face. Uh, 100 years of Brian. Okay. Big thumbs down there from Brian. Moving on to our next section. Big Quick thumbs time down. Events. That goes all the way down to the planet's core. It comes up as a thumbs up in Australia. Because it's fucking brilliant. <laughs> Quick time events. Oh. <sighs> This is the video game news section. We don't like doing this bit. No, no, we we got to do we it. We had a talk that we're going to shorten it from now on. So look out for that. <laughs> Some breaking news right here, folks. Yep, breaking news. Let's fight a boss. The news from two weeks ago. Now. Um, oh. Warner Brothers Games Nemesis System patent approved. Fuck every inch of this. Wow. You mean it wasn't before, but now it's going to scare everyone off? They were trying. They were trying for a long time. We only found out that recently, didn't we? Yeah. Through the Game Maker's Toolkit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through the Mark Brown video, which is a really good video. And it, it, it's... But, like, how is this going to be implemented? Because the, 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 the other example I could think of is the crazy taxi arrow and how that's patented. Yeah, well, that's shit. But, like, that's so commonplace in loads of driving sims. Yeah, I don't know. It's just... I feel like you're just at the point where you're... You're just copyright marking fucking art, you know? And hmm. it's like, it's the biggest pile of shit. Like, and I know everyone thinks this. I know this isn't like a new or interesting take, but like, come the fuck on. And like, EA, makers of some of the most iterative bullshit, like, copy paste games ever. 
It's a nemesis system. Yep. What are they going to do with this? That- no, it's not like the second game was good. Yeah. The, the nemesis system was cool in it, though, according to that Mark Brown video, anyway. Didn't I come out on PS Plus last year? Yeah. Yeah, I, ha- I have a copy I of have it. too. Yeah, I, I, I think it's in my queue, but I'm not... I don't want to waste space. That's the shitty thing about it. It's like a really cool system trapped in a game series that was good once. Yeah. Yeah. Neve, what do you got? CD Projekt Red hacked. Yikes. So they put out a statement on Twitter, basically um, a detailed the hacker's letter that they left, but just... That letter was really something. It was really cheesy. It was really old school. Yeah, I was like, like, wow, you've been hacked by either an, a 13-year-old or a 55-year-old. Like, like, did someone travel back in time from 2004 and hack you? Is that mm-hmm. what happened? I, I read it and I was like, did CD Projekt write this? But then that wouldn't... I, I could understand a weird PR move to get people on its side, but it just sounds like they'd have too much to lose in this. Yeah, it, it, they have access to everything, all their like code, all their HR files and stuff. Oh, it feels dear. like it, CD Projekt Red was getting out in front of it to be mm. like, if you hear any terrible violations of yeah. workers' rights, um, it was because it was hacked out of us. Like, the game data shit, I'm kind of like, oh, what, who fucking gives a shit? I think the thing that kind of makes me a little uncomfortable with this is the HR stuff and the administrative stuff. Because at that point, you're talking people's addresses, people's phone mm. numbers and stuff. And like, you know how fucking crazy people get about people are gonna get harassed people really want to assign blame and people are gonna find like look this guy was a level designer on this shitty level and they're like i could absolutely people see just regular game developers getting shit for this and that sucks they do not deserve that like Mm -hmm. at all like yeah fuck cd project reds management but like a lot of people worked on cyberpunk i'm guessing most of them were pretty cool and just wanted to make a good game and it sucks that you know their personal so this was a ransom. So would they? Would it be better for CD Projekt Red to pay the ransom to protect their employees' details? Like I'm assuming that there's personal information of their employees in yeah. there. It sure sounds like it. But to be honest with you, if it's their employees' personal safety, yeah, I, th- yeah. I think it's probably you the right owe thing to do. To just yeah. To, yeah, and like it's shitty. Ransomware. I get that you don't want to do this, but you know, also you're a giant fucking company. Like you, they just made a mint off those pre-orders so yeah and uh, look i don't know anything about this shit and i could be completely talking out my ass but the fact that like you know one hacker or hacker group can take all your shit like i've heard of stuff getting hacked and leaked before but like the source code of a game or like one thing not everything yeah i think just with like covid and everything going work from home and like there's just yeah, so there much more probably, vulnerabilities yeah, there's probably a back with everything door. yeah that sucks. Yeah, it sucks. For the staff. Yeah. Then the last bit of news I just wrote down, Sonic. So Sonic the Hedgehog, there's some announcements. Nothing to do with video games at all. There, well, there, there's, why, there's no why would they make a video game with no, Sonic they the Hedgehog? Would so what we've got is we've got Sonic Prime coming to Netflix. Uh, just there, they announced Sonic the Hedgehog the Movie 2, which is coming out on the... I think it's coming out in April 2022. So in 14 months, we get to see the new Sonic the Hedgehog movie. The only thing I can think of was Sonic. Do you remember that fake poster someone did for the second Sonic movie when Sonic was still, like, hideous? And it was the really fucked up tales. And it just said, Sonic... (laughs) Sonic the movie 2, Journey to Hell. (laughs) This this could be... Can we have him in our thumbnail? Yeah. Thank you. He's a really good... he's, He's a great fox. 
Yeah, so this movie is out in 14 months. Uh, I'm sure it won't get delayed at all. I'm sure it'll be out in 14 months. Absolutely I still haven't confident. seen the Sonic movie. You gotta. You gotta watch it with me. I think I'm still really burned out from Sonic. <laughs> the whole world is burnt out from Sonic. Oh, I'll watch it with you. Years ago. Uh, and then the other announcement was that almost all the voice actors for the last couple of 3D Sonic games have left. Some of them, their contracts have ended. Some of them just parted ways... Um, without any like you know like like peacefully uh mm-hmm. i know the guy who voices sonic at the moment or voice sonic was roger craig smith so he's left and he he was a really really good sonic yeah he was the only voice actor that's still staying around is the guy who does eggman but mm-hmm. i think all the voice actors work separately to each other so i don't think there's anything you know it could be there. people being like okay we made a sh- like shit ton of money with that sonic movie let's bring in a whole new team I don't know but yeah that, that is yeah. odd but yeah it seems like they're going through a big reshuffle with the sonic identity at the moment uh not focusing on games is really weird the fact that they're still hanging on to Robotnik is kind of weird and you know the way we made our smash predictions mm. why didn't any of us say Robotnik slash Eggman because like he'd be a good fit Sega just seems off limits sometimes oh yeah but Sonic's in it, and a lot of the like third-party characters have their antagonist in it now. Yeah, you're yeah. right. And so, I think I think I could see Eggman. I could also see Knuckles or Tails. Yeah, um, I, I do think another Sega character might come into Smash, but it's none of our predictions. But oh well. Oh well. Easy come, easy go. Just like Sonic. Yeah. Um, emails. You guys want to do one one very special email? It's getting late. We better. Yeah, this this what happens. We're like, we're gonna do this real early, guys. We're gonna put a good grind on it. We'll get some emails out. Yeah, and to achieve that, we'll start recording at the exact same time we always do. Late. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have an email address. Neve, could you tell us, us please? It is ask. Let's fight a boss at gmail.com. That's ask. Let's fight a boss at gmail. Com. That first K was a little soft, Neve. Yeah, you, you don't want to make sure nobody goes to that butt website. Ask. <laughs> That's a different thing. That is for top tier patrons only. Don't ask about it. Special place for special fans. Ask. Let's fight a boss. A Jamal. Daklum. Yeah. Is that how you pronounce stuff? Yep, definitely. It's beautiful. Dot yeah, com. Absolutely. Okay. Words can be whatever you got. <laughs> You said it was over 18s, John. It's your fault. I mean, uh, you set I me was up for trying this. to make a point. You made it all but, sticky. You know, okay, this one is from Garrett, and it is a quick fire ranking of death. This is another quick quick fire one, but okay. that's okay. But we take the quick fire questions nice and slow because yep. you know we're, yep, yep. we're old. Okay, Neil, the Deftone albums. Uh, Let's rank them. I can't rank them out of like I'm. I don't have a memory. Like, I need a list. Okay, okay. While you're doing that, John, the Final Fantasy VII party members. Okay, coming in dead fucking last, we got Cat Sith. Following Cat Sith, we got Red 13. Ton of potential. He never does anything fucking interesting in the story. After that, we got... I mean, you know what? I played, I replayed Seven last year, and I gotta say, I've a big love for Sid. That guy's a misogynistic piece of shit. Uh, then you gotta go with the best dad, Barrett, and then, then 
then you got to go Aerith, then Cloud, then Tifa. Oh, what about Vincent? Anyone? Vincent. And the little ninja girl in the tree. Oh, yeah. Okay. But but they're both optional, aren't they? Yep, they are. Okay, so that's the main cast. I would say you could stick Vincent in between Barrett and Aerith. I think I like him better than Barrett. And then Yuffie... Below Barrett. Below Sid. <laughs> Poor Yuffie. Yeah. Uh, how are you getting on, Niamh? I don't... All these albums are really good. They're very hard to rank. Okay, well then, what's your favourite Deftones album? Um, right now, I'm listening to a lot of Saturday Night Wrist. That's such a good mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I like them all. They're all a different move, mood. They are. They, they, all, they, they all do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I like B-Sides and Rarities. It's cool. Great. Yeah. Like the that. remix album wasn't very good. No. Which was so maybe put that down at the bottom. But maybe uh, yeah, in two years' like time, you like Pony a lot. My Pony, it's good. really good. But just, it, just the House of Light changes. <sighs> okay, and then for me, and I'm oh so so Neve is down as Neve, John is jo- down as Job, and then I'm down as B Man, which is okay with me. And I have to rank John's facial features. What? So John, look at me here now. Show me your face. What's a, do your smile? <laughs> That's a grimace. That that is not a happy face. Okay, so John's facial features. Let's let's work our way. Okay, so from the lowest, let's cut I the. I don't like this. Okay, John's ears aren't very visible, so let's just kick them off right away. They're cut. John's forehead doing nothing for me. That's cut. <laughs> he's a good forehead. He's he's being. I think I think I think he's being nice. Oh, okay. okay. John's mouth. Pretty interesting. If he smiles wide enough, he's missing a tooth. I mean, it's like so far back. Hey, I'm missing a tooth too. Mia, are you missing any teeth? Yeah. We've had too many sweets. The dentist asked me, did I want to keep it? And I was like, no, it's caused me too much trouble. <laughs> it's just something that happens to you when you get to a certain age, you lose a tooth. Mm-hmm. I think if you hit a certain age and you haven't lost a tooth, it's like, how hard were you trying? Yeah, dude, you got to fucking crush it. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, his nose is very good. He has uh, a mark on his nose similar to Guts from Berserk, which I really appreciate. Uh, his eyes are very good. There's an intense stare. But it's got to be number one at the very fucking top is his eyebrows. Everything about John is are those fucking eyebrows. What is your fucking problem? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> you know what that means. I don't. You always say that and I never do. So John's eyebrows are constantly egging on people to be like, go on, what have you got? <laughs> fucking bring it. That's and like, John's trying to like do normal human friendly stuff, but his eyebrows are like, I'll fucking take you. That, yeah. I'll burst you. I ya. do get challenged to a lot of fights. Uh, he, 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 his, his eyebrows settle in a brow, in a, in, in, in a very furrowed way. I think way. they always look like I'm about to shout at you. Yes. Like even now you look pissed. Well, now I am pissed. Yeah. Uh, John's chin didn't think about it so maybe it's around where the ears and the forehead are but yeah it's gotta be the eyebrows I'm sure anyone who's seen John's face has honed right in on those eyebrows like what's going on there thank you for that email would you like to weigh in on this Neve? I that sounded like a bad journey for you <laughs> yeah, well, you know what it wasn't great it's been a while since we've done like Brian doing John's body yeah you've been, pretty it's... eyelashes thank you Neve. you've lovely eyelashes do you know he's got even nicer eyelashes me <laughs> it's true they're very long yeah but they also also you my eyelashes so mean 
I'll no, everyone. I think all of us here have nice eyelashes. If I was going to like, if we went to an eyelash, we're all missing teeth, ranking. and we all have lovely eyelashes. <laughs> yes. We'd like come out somewhere in the middle. Like, we, they're not bad eyelashes. Like us combined could pass as a human. <laughs> like enough of us if, if we put enough I'm of done, our I'm done I'm done let's wrap up this fucking podcast are you sure John yep I had something to say there now it's gone good probably wasn't can important can I just do something like apropos like just for no reason whatsoever like a lot on this podcast I shit on Joss Whedon because I fucking hate him well today there was yes. more reasons to hate Joss Whedon what happened so Ray Fisher is the guy who plays Cyber Cyborg in Justice League. Justice League, and he was he basically reported that Joss Whedon was a horrible person to work with, was abusive and was shitty, and he took his complaints higher up in Warner Brothers, I guess. But instead of dealing any with Joss in any way, they fired him and took away his role in oh. his cameo role in the Flash movie. So today, um, Charisma Carpenter, Carpenter, who, who plays in, Cordelia, she was in Buffy and Angel. Um, oh, I love her; she's great. Yeah. She she released a statement called "My True and Hashtag I Stand with Ray Fisher," where she details just the gross abuse of power from Joss Whedon on the set of Buffy, and that was also echoed by Amber Benson, who played Tara in Buffy. So I was I'm a huge Buffy fan. I was for a very long time, but. The older I got and the more I started to examine Joss Whedon's body of work, you see the grossness in, in the tropes he implies. And there's an episode, maybe it's Angel actually, but where Cordelia is grossly oversexualized by a really creepy director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, the subtext is right there. The subtext is right there. Like she was basically pregnant when she was filming and he was saying horrible stuff to her about if she should keep her baby or not. Like he's a monster. Um, about in 2017, his ex-wife of 16 years, um, Kai Cole, released a statement, um, released a whole essay, and I'll drop it as one of my loot drops, about her experience um, being married to Joss and the hypocrisy of what he was doing on set to people and then in their home life and how it gave her PTSD. And that was in 2017. In 2018, he was give, uh, given showrunner status on The Nevers, which is a female-fronted TV show again, because the one thing that Joss Whedon cannot, um, he can shake all these allegations, but he cannot shake the whole feminist director bullshit. Yeah, he really hides in plain sight with that. Yeah, which has just allowed him to completely use his position of power to just be an absolute scumbag to people consistently. And I think it's like... It's horrible that they've had to do it, but I think it's great that um, Amber Benson and uh, Charisma Carpenter have uh, come out in like solidarity with Ray Fisher because Joss Whedon is just a snake. And I know he made Buffy and we all are very connected to that that nostalgia and it was hugely important to me, but like... And that he, first Avengers movie was so good. Oh, God, it's such a fucking nightmare. But like, you need to examine his work closer. And I promise you, the best episodes of Buffy had nothing to do with him. And even if they did, times Fuck have changed, him. and he has not, and he has not matured, and he's just a gross, disgusting, creepy dude. And fuck Joss Whedon. I think we once called him a gobshite. And yeah. And yeah, I like the fact that we've been like, giving him shit for years. He's a top tier like, gobshite. We've, had a, we've mm-hmm. had a couple of like bouts on this podcast where we'll just shit on Joss Whedon for like 20 minutes and yeah. people are always like, why do you hate Joss Whedon? He sucks. I'm not going to say it's because of this, but now it sure is. Yeah, he's just... 
Dude has a the dude has a track record. The hypocrisy was always there. The hypocrisy is there now. People are just come able in. A, it's a climate where people are able to talk about it. Mm. That was all very well said, Neve. Yes. I did have a moment there where you're like, I know on this podcast I shit on Ja, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I, I, I actually thought you were gonna do like, I was like, oh my god, it's coming, it's coming. I thought it was gonna be some sort of John gimmick, but this is way better. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Uh. Do you guys want to do some Patreon shoutouts? Can I pitch a movie? Yeah. Okay, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, Fuck them. The last time I pitched a movie on this podcast, it was a couple of years ago, and I didn't feel like it went very well. I felt like you two weren't really responsive to the theme, and I felt like there wasn't a lot of good faith criticism around it. It's is more this, your casting choices. Is, is this the Lena Dunham, Chris yes. Hemsworth <laughs> yeah. movie? Yeah. yeah. What, what was it called? The again? Missing. <laughs> They're all missing. Uh, it was an allegory for modern technology, because even though we've never been more connected, I feel like... Yeah, sure thing, Charlie Brooker. Go on. I feel... <laughs> Go on. No, no, go on, go on. Okay. So um, this movie is about an astronaut. Okay. And they're in space. I hate it. And um, a lot of stuff goes wrong and like they nearly die a bunch of times. Kind of like that Sandra Bullock movie. Is that? Gravity. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like that. But the difference between this and gravity is that they live. And um, she lives, she lives in gravity. Why are you guys spoiling gravity? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets back. The, the, the space the space astronaut gets back to Earth and this is after about two hours maybe two and a half hours and uh, how about three hours three, three hours. hour movie yeah, three no, hour I, I could feel I, I, I didn't want to say three hours but I if if you think fuck it, it has like, three hours long yep yeah. and the astronaut gets back to Earth and takes off their space helmet and it's a dog and then the title card comes up and it says Leica honestly I'd watch that that's a good twist <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. that's a good twist <laughs> I think the idea of having a title card three hours into your movie is really clever i think it'd be cool to just like clues throughout the film like maybe there's a bit where the astronaut's like barking at someone and yeah. you're like what's that about yeah yeah exactly like you wouldn't you wouldn't have guessed it until you connect the dots afterwards and the Fucking... dog played by george clooney he has experience yeah he, he played uh, a dog in south park yeah, yeah i yeah. took that Stan's into dog. account yeah, yeah. Mm. no he's a very talented dog yeah i like this movie mm. yeah green light yeah Excellent. Finally. You get your movie, John. Loot drop. No, Patreon shoutouts. Fuck. Ani, please. <laughs> no. <laughs> Leave it in, Ani. Oh, that's also something we have to mention. Yeah. We have an editor now. Oh, yeah. You know what? Um, we recently... Okay, a little background. At various points throughout this podcast, it's either been Neve or myself doing the editing. We've been doing that way for five years. Yeah. I think um, I did it once or twice, but then I said, please don't let me do it. I don't want to do it. That has been apparent, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, I you know, listen to podcasts. me and I think me and Neve were both, we're at very different places now. Then when we started editing this podcast, I think like we both have more responsibilities with our jobs and stuff. And I think it just like it got to a point where it was like there like it was never like there wasn't someone to edit, but it was like we were both just consistently had a lot on our plates and this was really adding to it. And so the ability to get an editor like Oni has helped so much. That's Oni Dino on the Discord, I believe. Oni Dino. Oni Dino and Oni Dino on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was some audio issues the last episode and they were a fucking champ about it. And 
I think we're all pretty pumped to have them on board and they've been doing a great job and you know give them a shout out let them know that they that the let's fight a boss family has grown by one I, I've, I came up with a nickname for Oni and it's the best thing ever and I've been so proud of it and you guys think it's not it's going to be shit but it's actually not what is it the MVP of LFAB <sighs> right yeah not, saves like, us in the edit yeah not, not really a nickname but it'll do Neve? Okay. it's a title can cut you it's a title yeah um he's a cool guy also remember last week we were talking about people who self-describe as himbo yeah in his case it's earned and his a fucking loan okay does oni dino self-describe as a himbo in his twitter profile i saw it on the discord you're a twink <laughs> <laughs> but look look i'm gonna allow it for oni but anyone else brian could you describe okay. what i'm doing uh he's he's Put out the gun and he's fucking blasted bullet. Yeah. Finger guns. Here we go. Someone said Gaston was a jock. And I think to be a jock, you have to be good at sports. And there's no proof that Gaston is good at sports. He's good at hunting. hunting. Is that a sport? Yeah, I guess so. But to me, I think like you don't even have to be beefy to be a jock. You just have to be like popular because of sports. He is popular though. Yeah, a lot and of people I, want I, to focus on. Yeah, okay, maybe he's a jock. I, I, I think he is a jock in relation to his cultural context. I just haven't seen him play sport, Brian. <laughs> I'd say he'd fuck. I'd say he could throw a ball. Yeah, you're right. Gee, can we please do the Patreon shout outs? That's what I fucking. Okay, we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash LFAB. Uh, if you support us on Patreon, maybe someday we could do the Shenmue 2 Let's Play. Okay, look, I want to say something about the Patreon. I've been pretty enthusiastic about, you know, different ways for people to... I'm, I'm going to say this week, maybe people shouldn't subscribe. Oh, no. that's alternative. Not everyone's strong enough. Not everyone's brave enough. Now, like, when someone does, and we see that little name light up in the Discord, we all look at it and we're like, this person is a real ass motherfucker. We say it every single time. That we person... say you have a real ass motherfucker. Yeah. No, yeah. we do not and we cannot. <laughs> you are not weak. That ass is strong. Yeah, and there's a lot of strong people in that Discord. It's a good, friendly Discord. But I'm going to say, it's not for everyone. Not everyone is fucking titans of humanity like people in that discord and i'm not saying that people can prove that they're that strong by signing up to our patreon no, that would feel doing. a little weird to me you know I, i'm not gonna say something like that but do i think that about everyone who's already signed up i mean yeah i do so mm -hmm. you think better of them i mean it's a pretty strong discord is all i'm saying they're very good people i just i just want to say that yeah, very good people. Just lovely human shapes that support us and do nice things for each other. Yeah. Great bunch of lads. Anyway, we have a section called the Patreon Shoutouts. The Patreon Shoutouts. And if you leave us a message in 2019, we'll read it out in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> and if you leave a message now, we will read it in 2024. In the final episode. <laughs>
<laughs> oh, we promise we'll do a backlog episode because that'll be funny. Yeah, no, we have to catch up because there's been so fucking many. But let's just see how this year goes, and there'll probably oh, be. And genuinely, thank you to all the people who signed up recently. We've had so many new patrons this year already, and it's it's fucking cool. Yes, because usually February's like a, a a rough rough time of the year. But thank you for your support. Mm-hmm. Wow. Anyway. If you say something in the Patreon shoutouts, it'll sound something like this. Neve, do you want to take the first one? This is from FIFA09. Boxers are briefs. You too, Neve, unless you don't want to. Um, boxer briefs, you know, the, the one that's in between? Because it has the support of one, but the space of the other. I can't understand why boxer briefs aren't like a standard. Because like, they, in one, it's just zero support. It's just running down your fucking leg and it sucks. <laughs> And then in the other, it's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, what is happening? Like, what the, why would you, do you ever put on briefs and it's like, why would anyone do this it's to themselves? It's bunching and chafing, you don't want any of that. It's fucking, like, rolled up into this weird just fucking thing. It's a badly rolled sock. It's like, what the fuck, why do people make their little kids wear briefs? I have a little fucking kid, I'm going to be like, here's your box of briefs, don't ever ask if there's anything else, because it's fucking shit. Yeah, do Americans not have boxer briefs, or is it just no? Like they a, do. They it's do. Just a question. I think. Can... I think for a long time they had briefs, and then they had and they had boxers, and then at some point someone made the boxer brief. But yeah, like imagine bras had the same fucking problem. <laughs> like, it's just like, do you want this loose shit that does literally nothing, or do you want something fabric. that literally crushes your tits into your chest? It's just it blows my fucking mind. No, you want the balance of support. You want the balance. You want the comfort. You want the freedom. And you want the support. Gotta mind those little guys. I agree. This one is from Takoi. It's such a delicate... Uh, I hope I don't accidentally waste my Patreon shout-out on something that doesn't matter. Us too. Yeah. Uh, John, you want to take this last one? Because it's for you. It's from Nameless Buster. Uh, Super Eyepatch Wolf fans should be called Joe Hogue. Is this Joe Hooligans or Joe Holig? Joe Hooligans. Joe Hooligans. I think it's good. <laughs> there, there probably is a, a small but vocal corner of your fan base that are Joe Hooligans. Okay. Can I tell you guys about a really a sweet compliment and a really good put down I got in once recently? You got nagged real good. Kinda. It's like, hey, you're my favorite YouTuber and my third favorite podcaster. Oh, that's so good. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. I couldn't even be mad. I was like, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Loot drop. How long is this podcast, Brian? Uh, it is two hours and 45 minutes long. I'm getting the delirious. It's all coming out. You know, you know, when we podcast for a long time. And we you do just, need to finish up soon because I have fucking to. Goes I, have and to goes. I have to give my hedgehog his dinner. Brian, no one cares about your fucking hedgehog. They love that hedgehog. John, you like him, don't you? Yeah, he's alright. I feel like I feel like I've had less of your attention since he came along and that bothers me. You should. Yeah. Bothers him too. Neev. Uh <laughs> um, My Loot Drop is a song by Sophie featuring FKA Twigs. I've just been listening to a lot of music on um YouTube these days because I don't care what people think about things. That's a good answer. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm just uh, trying to listen to more music. I, I've gotten so fatigued, video essay fatigue. Yes, it just—I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's—I don't know if it's like a pandemic thing, but I just 
Oh, can't John. fucking watch there's him right this, now. There's this one guy who made a fucking video about Shonen Jump, and Jesus Christ, what are you talking about his ass? That one was okay. Heavily researched video. Took, oh, yeah. a, took a long time. Um, uh, Sophie uh, was a brilliant musician who sadly passed away um, the other oh, week yeah. from really tragic circumstances. Um, so I've just been listening to a lot of Sophie, and I love FK Twigs as well. So this is a song they did together that I don't think is on anything. It just, you know, someone uploaded it. It's just some collab. Yeah, but it's really good. That's Brand really sad about Sophie. Um, I have a YouTube channel called GTV Japan. And it's a video on Parodius, which is a cute em up that came out in Japan and Europe. And it's just the history and legacy of that game. And I think it's like 40 minutes long. And I love this video. I love Parodius. It's a cool series. I don't know if they'll ever make another one. But there's this YouTube video about it. And that's maybe enough. Cool. Um, I have a two-hour documentary also on YouTube called Fighting in the Age of Loneliness. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, John, what's this? Okay, it's this basically just documentary on the weird, weird history of MMA and what a fucking just strange sport it's always been and how fighting is just this activity for weirdos who can't understand anything else. And I really liked it. It really, it kind of ties like MMA into a bunch of like political stuff like you know the Bush era the Obama era the Trump era and like kind of how over the course of MMA a lot of the kind of weird rough edges got kind of hewn away from it and how that's kind of sad and it's kind of like every other sport now when it it did just used to be this place for just fucking weird people who love beating the shit out of each other now it's been invaded by bodybuilding forum people yeah um and just really I guess MMA used to be kind of a carny show in a lot of ways, and it's not that anymore, and that's kind of sad. But it's also just about fighting, and I really miss fighting a lot. And this had me kind of like, yeah, it's it's a really nice watch. And that's it. Do you want to fight, John? Like We should have a competition, like raffle off a ticket. <laughs> to have a physical altercation. A physical fist fight with yours truly. Are we meant to do any other bits? At the end of this podcast, or is this how it ends? I think this is how it ends. That's. I, are you suggest? I, I can't tell if you're suggesting one. No, no, like because you know the way you were going to do like a, an ongoing thing. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Brian, see, I knew when we're nearly three hours into a podcast, you gotta just say it to me because I'll never get it myself. I don't want to. I, I well, look what we've done now. Flow fucking ruined. Yeah, I'm happy with that actually. <laughs> okay, so guys, there is one little change I'm going to make to this podcast as it's king. So most people aren't going to be listening to this bit. So this is a real special treat. Everyone who listens to this podcast listens to all the way through. Just like they watch all my videos all the way through. And my YouTube stats can't tell me any differently. Okay. I am announcing the Let's Fight a Boss Tournament of the Nameless. Okay, look. The Let's Fight a Boss Game of Hopes and Dreams is currently Fire Emblem Three Houses Awakening. Whatever it's called, I don't care. None of us like that game. No, we do. And I like so it. I am we are we have all together decided to hold a tournament for the greatest game in Let's Fight a Boss history. The winner His will be selected pop-up. from a pool of sixteen titles, some of which will be our previous game of the year winners, and others will be titles selected specifically by us. Every week, 
we will hold a round and then move on to the next round the next week and keep going until we have one ultimate champion. I will explain the full rules of these rounds on the next episode of the Let's Fight a Boss video game podcast. This is going to change everything. You're going to love it, kids. I'm scared. You should be. Do we say our goodbyes? Bye, everyone. We love you. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Are we done? <laughs>